Let's visit the 90s all over again. Put on those hammer pants. This is Dope Nostalgia. This is episode, it's, it's kind of crazy to believe this is the 131st episode of Dope Nostalgia. Wow, time flies. I'm your host, Naomi. The gentlemen we had on the show today are really wonderful guys to talk to. They're the original members of a group. Okay, When this first started, you'll know them by the name Blessed Union of Souls. That's what they were called in the 90s. And then this is a new incarnation of the original members. So you'll see if you're out looking for information on them, there's Reunion of Souls and Blessed Union of Souls. So not to confuse you, I'm going to tell you all about Reunion of Souls today, the four founding members of the group who joined me on the show. Before we get to that, let me give you a little bit of background. This is Reunion of Souls. Wikipedia Moment. What you're hearing right now is the instrumental track of the original version of their hit song called I Believe. It was a huge smash. Here's a little information on them straight from their bio at reunionofsouls.com. The Reunion of Souls is made up of the original founding members of the Blessed Union of Souls reuniting for the first time in over 10 years. In the 1990s, you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing one of their hits. Their smash debut hit, I Believe, on EMI Records reached number one at radio in the spring of 1995. They released four more top 40 hits until 1999 when they released another smash hit called Hey Leonardo, She Likes Me For Me on Richard Branson's label V2, climbing to the top 10 for most of that summer. Their music was heard in movies like Contact, starring Jodie Foster, Ace Ventura Pet Detective starring Jim Carrey and the Pokemon movie, just to name a few. They have also been heard on many television series. Their songs have been performed by contestants on American Idol, America's Got Talent, and The Voice. They were known to radio stations all over as one of the hardest working bands in the business. Never failing to stop in a station for an interview or on-air performance as they toured extensively all across America and most of Europe. No band has ever been more face-to-face -face with their fans as they would tirelessly sign autographs after every show for sometimes hours as to leave no fan behind. They always left it all on the stage with an impressive high-energy performance with fans singing along with all their hits. Members include Eddie Hedges, Jeff Pence, Tony Clark, C.P. Roth. These are the four members that joined me for a very special interview. Welcome to Dope Nostalgia, the reunion of souls. There we go. <laughs> ah, what's going on, girl? Hi. How you doing? Eddie, right? I'm Eddie. Yeah. Nice to meet you. I'm nice Naomi. Nice to meet you. How you doing? <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Good, good, good. good. I want to make sure before I start, obviously, that everyone's here. Don't want to. Yep. Tony's here. What's Hello, up? Tony. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. All the way from Canada. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What is, see, what is the Canada? What do they say in Canada? Is there like a saying or something in Canada? 
We have a few choice words being like yeah. a, 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 a at the or, end of almost any statement. Yeah. <laughs> or a boat. <laughs> a boat. A boot. Okay, people tell me that I say a boot, but boot. I don't hear yeah. it. I think I say yeah. about. We had a well, that time. That time you did. He was Canadian, right? He used to say those things. Who is oh, that? Yeah? Neville. He used to say things. Oh, like, yeah. Tartak. It's Canadian. He did. He did. Neville. Are you all from Cincinnati? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, except we, don't live, we, we don't live there now. Well, Charlie's, he's from New York. Where's Charlie from? He's from New York? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all from Cincinnati, but now I'm in LA. Tony is in Cincinnati still. I'm stuck. Yeah. <laughs> <In> the snow. <laughs> And Jeff is in uh, Florida. All over. Yeah, we're all spread out. Makes it kind of tough to rehearse. I was going to say, how have you been pulling that off? Do you, can you rehearse remotely? Because I know it's really hard to sync up timing, especially over Zoom. It doesn't seem to work. No, we just you make it, man. That's it. We just we record it, and then everybody practices with all the other people. You know, it's it's um, on their own from the recording. Yeah. Oh yeah, we make yeah. it work. Yeah, we, we had a little time to figure that out. Yeah, there you go. Oh, I heard it. There you go. I heard it. <laughs> it's time figure to figure it out. Oh, uh, I didn't even notice it. See, that's crazy. See, I see. Hey, all right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're going to mess with you now, right? We're going to mess with you on all I, that. As you should, honestly. Hi. Hi, how are you? Does, I'm good. Hi, Charlie. Thanks Hi, for making it. How are it. you, Naomi? How are I'm you? Good. Thank you so much for having us. Hey, I'm so glad you guys all made this work that we could all be together in the same room, basically. Um, and, and I'm virtually. sorry that my I'm sorry that my phone makes it look like I have a greased filter, but my phone's from the Truman administration, so uh, <laughs> uh, you know it's it's been around a while. Got T9 <laughs> on it. Yeah. Look yeah. like it's got some. Look like it's got some chicken grease on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually linking through through uh, Friendster on this. So uh, oh, yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. You can tell <laughs> Naomi. You can tell we haven't seen each other in a while, right? <laughs> oh, I'm glad we could get you all together. I, I want to welcome all of you to the show. It's nice to have every member here included, and Thanks. we are a podcast about the will we focus on bands who did spectacular things in the '90s and what they're doing now. So tell me, since you guys are the original members of the band, how it all started. Uh, briefly, because uh, I know you probably had to tell that story briefly. a million times. <laughs> Bri well, well briefly, then maybe I shouldn't tell it. Tony's got to go Charlie gets really in depth. Basically, what it was, Jeff and I were in a band called Slam. Um, I was a singer, drummer, and uh, he needed a singer. I left to go play with a band called Bell Biv the Bow. And ah, he, yeah, he's a singer, and I introduced him to Elliot, and that's how the band kind of started. And then when they started recording, uh, Charlie was in New York, but he was he was coming in doing all the keyboard work. Mm -hmm. And then when it was time to tour, we finally put the band together. We brought Tony in, and boom, we took off. Now that's Eddie, a short story. And CP was that is the Reader's Digest version. That's a beautifully beautifully condensed. And CP and CP was the associate producer as well. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Now, Eddie, 
from what I understand, you were the drummer, but now you're the vocalist, correct? Yes. I he was, was always the vocalist. He always was the lead singer. We just had him singing backup most of the time. Yeah. Every now and then he would sing lead. Yeah. The thing was, I mean, when I was with Jeff in his first band, I was the singer. I always played drums. Um, Elliot and I were in another band where he was my keyboard player and I was the lead singer. And uh, then when we put this together, you know, Jeff and Elliot started working on Jeff, Charlie and Elliot started working on the record. And when the record was done, the single that came out was I Believe. And that was Elliot's voice. So we're like, OK, well, now he's the singer. Let's go. You know, and that's kind of, yeah, you know, so, and that's what they're working on. Cause I was in LA. Um, I think I was playing with Sheila E at the time. So I was her drummer. By the way, I, I have to interrupt. I'm going to say this all the time. Cause I'm a drummer as well. Yes. Naomi, do you know how good a drummer you have to be to be Sheila E's drummer? I mentally I'm, just went, wait a second. Yeah. Sheila E's I'm, drummer. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know That's how incredible. you have to be? You know, and you know what Sheila know. would do? She would come to rehearsals and she would go, she wouldn't give anybody, she wouldn't give me a chart, nothing. You know? Oh, she was Rick Derringer, was yeah. she? Yeah, <laughs> she, she would give me either a CD or a cassette and she would say, learn this. Okay. And, then, and that, was, that was before lunch. So I had to learn it. So that when we came back in after lunch, I better have it down. You know, so oh. I had it down, you know, but the thing with, with Sheila was, you know, those drum machines, the NPC 60 drum machines, you know, that Prince used a lot, the Lynn, he used a lot of these machines to play those, those, those loops underneath her song. Well, it was my job, not only to play drums, but to start and start, start and stop the drum machine. I was like, Sheila, do, can you give me like a foot pedal? Cause my hands are busy right now. Just <laughs> no, just reach over and start it and stop it. And she said, but make sure you start it and stop at the same time we start and stop playing. I was like, okay. Oh, that trick. Yeah, yeah. And the best part about it was, you know, there's a little screen and there's a little backlight. So you can see, you know, what song you're turning it to. The light was broke. I was like, can we maybe get the light fixed? Nah, you'll be okay. Just hold your phone up there or something. You'll, you'll be all right. I was like, good gracious, man. This gets tougher and tougher. You know, but... You know, it got me prepared for the Blessed Union, you know? What a challenge. Oh, my yeah. goodness. We, we were a lot nicer to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't as tough. And it was much, it was, and we had more fun on the bus, so. It, and he didn't have to push any buttons. Chuck did that. Yeah, I didn't have yeah, to push I, any buttons. I did all the button pushing, uh, except, except Eddie had to duck for an occasional mis, uh, yeah. misthrown water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> got me once. Yeah. You got me once. Yeah. Almost took me off the stool. <laughs> I threw a water bottle just up in the air and it landed right on his head and it was full. And it wasn't like a little, it was, I could never repeat that if I had if I had aimed. It would have <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it kind of rocked me at the time. We were playing a boom, you know, you go like, okay, so what was that? You know, <laughs> that, was, that was the night that Charlie almost died because Eddie's brother was a drum tech, and he oh, saw yeah. that happen. And and my brother is really protective. <laughs> I don't know what he thought, but he went crazy. No, I was going. I was going to get the double hedges beat down. I know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, like, what is the union of WWE? I, yeah. I talked my way out of it with my obvious New York City charm. Yeah, and a gift. <laughs> <laughs> and a oh, gift. Yeah. Oh yeah, that 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 too. <laughs> 
fried. <laughs> hey, they, don't call it, they, don't, they don't call it a peace pipe for nothing, my friend. No, you know, they just calm you down. Because <laughs> yeah. I was wondering if you considered doing some kind of a Phil Collins type of setup there when you were well, well, actually, you don't know how close you are. So, um, yeah, the one. He's frozen. <laughs> yeah. Who, me? You froze for a second. Oh, okay. I the think one, he really, uh, he really froze. Like it, yeah. it was not tech. It was him. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was physical. Um, <laughs> uh, the one thing that I never did with the band uh, that, you know, I always considered my, I always considered my first instrument to be drums. I played bass and keys live with the band. There was some, a little bit of drumming that I did early on uh, in, in the studio with these guys. But I mean, once you bring in Eddie, what the, what the hell am I going to do? Um, but the difference between me and Eddie, uh, the main difference that you see right away on stage is Eddie plays drums right-handed, I'm left-handed. So we have to have two kits on the stage, much like the way Phil Collins and Chester Thompson had it mm. in, uh, because Phil is a left-handed drummer. So, um, and, a, and a huge, by the way, a huge influence to me. Mm. You kids playing the drums, listen to Genesis, the lamb lies down on Broadway. It's the only drum lesson you'll ever need. Anyway, <laughs> sermon over. But um, <laughs> so we have the two kits on stage and actually we do a dr double drum solo as part of the show. But, you know, Eddie and I are constantly talking, you know, we're sort of expanding the set list now. So we're talking about like, well, Eddie unusually uh, finds it more taxing to be out in front entertaining people than sitting behind a kit and singing. And mm -hmm. I sort of, I kind of sympathize with that because when I come out front for Oh Virginia, like I come back from that, I've been drumming the entire set and I come back from that like, oh, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> man, what the hell did I just do? <laughs> so, uh, 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 you know, and just talking to the audience and kind of tap dancing, making sure everybody's entertained all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, so we're always going to be mixing that up uh, you know, and I just love that, uh, you know, we can both be drummers on the same day. It's an honor for me. I mean, really. Well, no, and me too. I mean, you no know, smoke, we, no smoke, yeah. you know, oh, but, uh, you. but, it's, it's but, fun. but really the, you, when you look at a video of me and Eddie doing a double drum solo, it's like, we're just in the happiest place on earth. Like yeah. it's, <laughs> first of all, it's me and him. We're not dead. Yep. So, you know, that counts for something. <laughs> And, mm -hmm. and yeah, we're just having, we're just doing the thing we love to do the best. It's just the most awesome thing. And yeah, I'm so happy that, that we get to share that with the fans, you know? Yeah. And the thing is we don't, we, we just go, it's not like, okay, this is what we're going to play. And then we're going to do this. And then we're, we just go. It's like, I'm okay, usually the guy, go. <laughs> yeah. you know? No, I'm usually the bossy Nancy with like a plan, but then like it's Eddie Hedges. So no, we'll just go play. We'll just go for it. <laughs> we just play. And it, and it works out. It's really cool. You know, we have some plans for this upcoming show, too. So, you know, by the way, um, I, I was going to spring this on the guys um, later, but I'm thinking there's a part of the show where, Charlie, um, you'll start out playing the drums. And then there's a section where the keyboard part plays and I'll jump back in on the drums and then there's a break and then you can come back in and I'll run back on. It's going to be fun. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you which song that is later. Right? I better bring my Nikes. That's it, man. You got to run. <laughs> <laughs> you live in New York. Just, You're used to it. 
Yeah, you know, oh, in New York, know you nobody walks faster than Charlie, and that's the reason why. Man, when um, I met these guys, and we're going to like a hip injury, just we're, right. we're, we're, you know, we're you're getting dropped off at parking lots to go to these big like radio stations, and I get out of the car and I go, <laughs> and the reason, and these guys are walking like they're in like a field somewhere in like central Ohio, just like they're kind of like. Grazing in the grass is a gas, baby. Can you dig it? And yeah, I like wait, zip. And mm. and they used to think like their first impression of that was, look, look at that douche, like you know, walking ahead of everybody else. <laughs> I had to explain to them that when I lived in New York in the mid to late 70s, you know, 76, 78, 79, man, you look at the history of that city, and I was a skinny little punk rocker with like the purple, you know, straight up, you know buzz cut the whole uh, thing yep. and um and uh you had to walk fast my apartment was right in the middle between the walk down to cbgb's and up to max's kansas city which were like the two legendary clubs and uh man it was it it wasn't indian hills let me just no. tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a little busy <laughs> yeah, a little, little busy. It was a little busy. There, you kind of had there, to rock, there, walk fast. There, there were some fellas out there with hobbies. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we, and, they could, we and you know over, what? And, and they could pick out the boys from Ohio. They could pick them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Could, but they, uh, it, it was funny. Like, we, you know, we, we were constantly asked just because you know, people don't do any research in the band and they say, well, I'm looking at this band. So let me ask him this question. So we, especially in the early days, we were asked like if there was some weird ass cultural deal being an interracial band and we'd all just start laughing because the four of these guys would go, hell no, it's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, they were so, and you know, my mom grew up what yellow springs is what about 50 miles north of cincy yeah yeah not too far yeah my mom grew up like 50 miles north of cincinnati i've been out there all the time so i knew the vibe out there growing up you know it wasn't like mm. total culture shock but that was it i mean we used to tell them it's the difference between the cincinnati reds and the new york mets <laughs> ah. that those those were kind of fighting words we could Pete Harrell's uh, Bud Harrelson and Pete Rose's name were uh, not allowed on the bus. <laughs> nah, nah. We did get autographs though. We did. Yeah. We did get their mm. autographs. So, but nah, it was fun. It was definitely fun. No so. kidding. Well, I can imagine that when I believe hit the charts, there must've been a huge amount of excitement around it. And now you were mentioning to me earlier that although Eddie is the singer of the band, Elliot had the vocals on that song. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Back when we were, you know, the uh, when we were Blessed Union of Souls, you know, then you know because I believe came out first, then we thought, okay, we can't confuse the audience. Elliot's the singer. We'll just leave it that way, and um, that's how we toured for a long time, you know. And then um, later on, when when you know the thing started, kind of everybody kind of started doing other things, you know, then we came back together and, uh, you know, we, you know, we built that whole brand of blessed union of souls, like I said, and we're still together, you know, mm -hmm. so we're still going out doing dates. It's just that now, you know, I, I'm singing a lot. I mean, we're all singing still, 
but yeah. I'm doing all the lead stuff. And we're just trying to keep it interesting because I do a lot. I sing from the kit, you know, and then I'll go out front and sing and Charlie takes over. You know, mm. we just bounce back and forth. But, you know, we still have a lot of, we still have a lot of fun doing it. Everyone in the band is so like multi-talented and able to play all these different parts and instruments. It's really nice. Well, I can only do two. <laughs> I can play drums and sing. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> uh, really, uh, it, it came, this whole, the way it started was just these guys just writing song after song after song after song. I, I think the count of what we had available to call from for the first album was about 35 songs. And when I say 35 songs, I'm talking about the ones that we finished. You know, yeah. I'm not talking about like, oh, that's kind of an idea. I don't know if it counts as a song, you know. Um, and uh, so we had 35 finished songs, not finished for an album, but, you know, completely fully demoed out. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing things at that pace, you know, a guy walks in, hey, could you play guitar? You know, or like a guy walks in, like, can you do a percussion? You know, just like you got to get the thing documented and done. So. Mm -hmm you know, we presented ourselves as a band with guys with roles, because again, you just don't want to confuse the audience. But the collective creative teamwork that was constantly going on in the studio was always, you know, always in flux, which is one way to just keep things fresh, yeah. you know, where you're not uh, constantly remaking your first album. Which is at important. Least, at, least in, at least in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's it. It's true. Everybody it's true. kind of turned out to be like utility guys. I mean, you know, every everybody in the band does more than one thing. And when I entered the band, I was just the bass player. And at one point, when we released our second record, we had so many guitar tracks, and Charlie's a great bass player. They're like, well, Tony, you got to play guitar now. So I had to figure that one out. Oh. I actually became pretty good at it. And um, then I wanted to play in a little bit of keys, I think, on Leonardo Live. And yeah. just, like, everybody was able to do other things everybody was great at the one thing they did but they became you know everybody became stronger at other things that they were kind of good at and that i, I think we were all utility players all of us yeah which very we, handy and this this show coming up on on july 3rd um we're gonna have to do a little bit more of that so i'm hey naomi i'm springing this on the guys right now they don't even know so. <laughs> i'm liking that you're <laughs> discussing the uh the show with them for the yeah. first time for the first time yeah listen yeah so we're know. definitely going to talk about july 3rd then i wanted to uh i'll get there but yeah. first i wanted to say i felt that i believe and i know a lot of people were inspired by the fact that it was ahead of its time lyrically dealing with the subject of interracial relationships mm -hmm. how do you think that affected music at that time and compared to now with the song does the song have the same effect I think the song still has the same effect. I think that just that everything, everything has just gotten a little bit out there. You know what I mean? Um, it was when the song came out, it was kind of taboo. Who don't talk about it. I mean, you know, come on, there's been, you know, biracial relationships for years, you know, and mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the problem though is it become, it, it started to become uncomfortable because people started making it sound uncomfortable. It's, it's really mm -hmm. weird how, to me, it's really weird how somebody can start creating division where you weren't thinking about it before. You know, yeah. a group of people can kind of come in and make and kind of start steering people a certain way. Look, musicians, we're all just musicians. 
You know what I mean? We don't think of, I mean, personally, and I, I don't, but and especially none of us, we don't think of it like that. But I know that when it came out, you know, the original writing, we used the N word and they were pulling out off the radio. You know, we weren't allowed yeah. to do it. So, so it had to be a brother from the street, you know? Mm. And I think what people were missing was, were the, was the, the actual content of the N word. And it wasn't so much that, you know, we were being, you know, dark in that sense, but it was like, this is, the song was about Lisa's father and this mm. is how he felt. You know, and so many others did at the time. Um, I don't think that a lot, honestly, I don't think a lot has changed. I don't think a lot has gotten much better. Mm -hmm. If anything, <laughs> you know, there's some stuff that's gotten a little bit more twisted. But yeah, I think if, you know, that's why what we do, we constantly sing about love. Even the new stuff we write, we write about love. And he's not kidding. You know, <laughs> you know what it is? It's just, it's. You know, because think about this for a minute, you know, I mean, like if if more people would consider other people, then, you know, and where they're from and, and what they're about and, you know, and not be so isolated in somebody else's world. It, it's like so many times, you know, you know, listen, nobody's better than anybody just because they have more money. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's better than anybody just because, you know, any kind of status, you know what, we're all we're all here. We're all human. You know, a lot of there's a lot of people that have more opportunities, you know, because of, you know, where they're from or, you know, the color of their skin, whatever the case may be. But it doesn't make you any better, you know. Mm -hmm. So and that's the approach that we have. That's always the approach that we've had, you know, as a band. So, you know, I think love Jeff is the answer. And that's very, very much the important message there. It is. And when you think about it, think about that. It, it truly is. You know, it's like. You know, when, when it gets down to the to the root of it, you know, why do you hate this person? Well, I don't know, because my dad said I should. You know what I mean? I mean, a lot, listen, hatred is taught. It is. Hatred is taught. So how come we can't teach people to love? You know, that's that's be a lot easier. You know, so it doesn't should cost we, anything. <laughs> you know? right. Should we check in on Jeff? Yeah, where'd he go? I don't know why no. he disappeared. He does, oh, that. Okay. he does he's, that. He does that. He's okay. <laughs> he died. He'll be back. He'll okay. be back. Um, the Is only okay? thing that, uh, that, that I can uh, add to what Eddie said, uh, sort of, you know, only because in the context of your question, because, you know, you said, how do you think it changed music? Well, I, I don't think any of us think we change, can change music. <laughs> So, so, it kind of does that on its own, but it always comes back around. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix changed music. Yeah. I, I like to I like to tell <clears throat> girls I can play the drums. There's oh a yeah, well, uh, the beat, um, you know. But yeah, uh, but uh, I, I'll tell you because you know one of my things is that you know not not only am I sort of the band historian, but I'm very much into the history of especially rock and roll, but of the music business as a whole. I mean, I really, and once we had these opportunities, man, I just soaked it in and really tried to know everything about what was going on. But I'll tell you something uh, interesting historically. So I believe comes out in 1995. And um, it, uh, it, you know, it's about what it's about. Well, I start thinking back about what other songs in like maybe since the 60s 
have charted that have been about the subject matter. And I realized there were two. One was in 1967. It was a song called Society's Child by Janice Ian. It actually won Grammys. And it was produced by Shadow Morton, who produced the Shangri-Las. So the best thing about it is, not only is this a social slap in the face for 1967, but it sounds like the Shangri-Las. So it's totally <laughs> awesome. So, so, and then, and then, cool. I don't know, you might remember a band from down the road in Jersey, a band called Stories, I believe mm. in 1973 or 1974, put out a single called The Ballad of Brother Louie. And, mm, uh, and that was, uh, I don't know if I can sing things and you'll get snapped for the royalties, but Louie, oh, no. Louie, Louie, Louie. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a, yeah. sort of a play on Louie, Louie, but, you know, it was uh, the song heard about it. this guy. Yeah. yeah. I was well, a gigantic yeah. hit. And, well, uh, and I, do you know why I heard it, though? Because yeah. Bon Jovi covered it in 1991. Well, it's it's yeah. their backyard. That's where exactly. those guys, it's the original, you know, all this bruise, I mean, you know, hats off to him, but stories was like the original Jersey Shore sound. I know a lot of those uh, guys have been very lucky to meet a lot of them, play with some of them, but yeah, so that was stories. Nothing in the 80s. And well, here was another big along. one, though. Here was another what? big one. Sly and Family Stone had everyday people. Mm -hmm. And that... True, but it wasn't a song just about that relationship. You know, I mean, it was about every. It was about different genres, different people coming together. Right. You know. Right. That's kind but, of a. You know, still in that sense. But what I what I thought was interesting was I can't really name a song like that in the eighties. I can't. Yeah. I, I, wow. Yeah. And then, little old us come along in nineteen ninety five with this thing. Now, not only does it go number one, and yes, I'm bragging here, folks. So put up with me. Um, <laughs> it it was the sixth, as in sixth, most played song on American radio in 1995. And that's what that dang song was about. Mm -hmm. yeah. Another thing I think is, is yeah. I believe it actually had more spins than Kiss from a Rose by Seal. If I, if yeah. I remember. Wow. Yeah. Know. So but somebody, but somebody at the label, and then I'll just stop right there. Yeah, stop. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> at the label. Well, well there's I, a reason anything, why we call anything, EMI Records. Go ahead, Chuck. Anything that goes yeah. into the label isn't usually a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a thousand stories that start with that sentence. But, anything but, I've learned but, from this podcast is that the record label, the devil. Yeah, yeah. Let me just say this. Let, let me just say this. Uh, Satan, at least from, from the materials that I've read on him, <laughs> So I'm more motivated than your average record label. So I'm just saying that, uh, you know. Well, he had an ego too. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. So you know what? You know what hey, listen, his ego got him kicked out though. So, you yeah. know, there you go. Yeah. I know. You know what doesn't slow Satan down? He doesn't have A&R men. He just has a, he hosts A&R men, but they're yeah. not working for him. No, um, no, 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 no. But no. Uh, uh, Minions. Funny. Called them millions. <laughs> but Naomi, I, I will tell you this, and, and this is sort of universal. This doesn't really have to do with, you know, and it's kind of my personal take. I think these guys will agree with me. Mm. You know, we got the opportunity to make hit records, and then we went and made some hit records. And mm -hmm. your life gets really nutty when that happens. <laughs> but but the the 
big thing, which they don't, they don't hand you a book for this, is dealing with fans. Oh, you know, yeah. like, I mean, you can be in a local band and people can adore you and you can even be pulling a thousand people in a club. But even with that, they're kind of like all your pals, you know, yeah. but you're getting, you know, people are walking to a record store in Spokane, Washington and buying your record and they become fans. And I learned something. I learned a lot of stuff. It really changes you as a person, like just figuring out how you're going to deal with that because it's it's it always it's just it's weird it's really weird it's mm -hmm. great it's wonderful but it's not a normal thing you know mm -hmm. but one thing i learned and i kind of learned this from of all bands the cars rick ocasek the way that he wrote songs is you know you read a lot of interviews with guys they write this song and it means so much to them. They put it out and they really want people to understand their pain because they're putting their pain, their mm. precious little pain out to you to like, to, you know, to write this song. But you know what? Soon as that kid hears that song on the radio, it's not your song anymore, pal. You've given it to them. Mm. And and that's how I've got to look at everything that we did, you know, like the quality of the songwriting, the quality of the productions, the quality of the performances, whatever. But once you put it out there, man, it's theirs to make of it what they're going to make of it. You're, it's just, you know, like when we would make these records, man, I would live, eat and breathe the records. And we, you know, we do the mixes, you know, and I'm just in it, I'm in it, I'm in it. And then we go get it mastered and I listen to the master listen to these masters and I listened to the masters once just to make sure there was nothing I hated. Mm. And then I'd wait to hear it because, you know, uh, the station in Cincinnati was very friendly to us and really helped make us the band that we are. And so they would start banging the record right away. And I would listen to that in a car, you know, I just hear what it sounded like being broadcast and receiving that on a car system. And after that, I was done with it. I mean, we would be playing that song live and promoting it. I had no interest in listening to that record again. I'm just like, you move on. You've yeah. given it. Next. You've given it to your fans and, you know, and, and make a damn good show out of it now, you know? Yeah. But the key but was always, you know what? But the key was always to play the song the way the song was recorded. Because yes. some bands, we remember the time we did the show with Bruce Hornsby? And oh, man. Like, that's just the way it is. Do you I see? Like, do you see the Home Alone face I'm making here? I know, right? <laughs> he was well, like, Bruce, Bruce was like, had been, Bruce had been partake, partaking a little bit, I think. On I was like, dude, what is he playing? And then he's like all over the place. Then all of a sudden, you hear, "That's just the way it is." I was like, "No, it isn't. That ain't how it is. It's not it's the way it is. He he was playing bebop. Yeah, <laughs> but then oh, you know yes. what? I mean, now here's another one. The guys from the Rembrandts, you know, um, Danny and Phil. Them. I mean, Phil was like, he didn't even like the song. He, I was like, Phil, he says, I hate playing this song every night. I'm like, dude, you'll retire off of this song. It's the Friends theme song. They're going to play forever. You don't have to worry about it, you know? Yep. And Naomi, guys, I, I love those guys, but do you know what, man, do you know what they did? So this is the first band that we're on tour with and we're opening up for the Rembrandts, right? And the Friends <laughs> theme is just knocking it out of the park they hated that song so and by the way 
the two guys they had as their rhythm section were the best you could oh, get. Yeah. The, yeah. And the nicest guys and the, I mean, I'm telling you, A-list doesn't cover it, these yeah, guys, the, the dudes right. that they had. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, so they would come out, they would play three songs, and they play I'll Be There For You, and then they continue on their set. Now, these guys thought, now this is my heart, the band XTC. Yeah. And these guys thought they were the American XTC. And I got to say, a lot of their other material sounded like the American XTC, which I wasn't hating, but they played I'll Be There For You fourth. And by the end of their set, yeah. <laughs> oh. Wow. Yeah. Everyone went Shana. to go get a drink and Fellas, a bathroom break. Uh, uh, yeah. uh. Well, they, they only had one other single, right? I mean, they had. Um, yeah. The way it is, baby. It was a pretty, yeah. it, was like a, it was like a cool yeah. little jam, I remember. It's that. just the way it is, baby. That, yeah, yeah. I love that yeah. song. Yeah. That was a great sound, song. Which sounded like Squeeze. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, oh, a, yeah. that was a great song, yeah. you know. Those guys were wild, though. I think. Um, uh, <laughs> well, we got oh. away with it, but 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 we stole a car. Who was it? Was it Danny or Phil? Who was I with? Was we Phil. stole that car. Oh, I forgot you about Phil? that story. Remember, we were at this club, and we there was Portland. this, there was this dancer. Let's just say this dancer, and uh, she was a little full of herself, you know. So, uh, but she so when she came back by the hotel after her dance show, <laughs> you know, after they put the pole away um so they she came back to the hotel and she and she was just snotty and she left her car running in front of the hotel and we looked at it and went okay so we just jumped in and took <laughs> off we well, almost got to, hey, listen, get arrested for that <laughs> we almost got to canada we almost got to canada you know because we were just driving they were like and then all of a sudden we were like i mean the bridge was right up there we, we were where were we we were in were we in Portland or, or somewhere? We were on. We were almost oh, in Canada. We yeah. were somewhere, and yeah. and and we were like, we were gonna go across the bridge. I was like, wait a second, what time is lobby call for you guys? <laughs> you know, we're like, we gotta be in. We gotta be on the bus at six in the morning. It was like four. You know, uh, like, I think we should probably turn around <laughs> so we don't get left. Yeah. I've been left before, so it's not a good thing. You know, yeah. I got left in Pennsylvania once, so you know. I got and off the did, bus to use the bathroom and I didn't put my hat in the seat. There's a rule. When you oh. get off the bus, you know, you have to put your hat in the driver's seat. So he knows that you're not back yet. Okay. I just, you know, it was, I don't know, sometime five in the morning or something. The bus stopped the fuel and I had to use the bathroom and I ran in real quick. Didn't take my hat off. I came back and I saw the bus. It was go. unbelievable. I was like, and it was a Sunday. The office was closed. <laughs> I was like, oh man. And I went back in and I called the office. Nobody answered. I called the manager. And uh he he yelled at the bus driver to the bus driver let him have it because it wasn't his fault. Mm-hmm. And um I was like, oh well. So I went back into the truckers lounge and I sat down and watched some Eddie Murphy movie or something, Metro or something. I just sat there and waited. <laughs> I was like, I thought I gotta come back and get me, you know. So you how know. far did they make it? Cleveland, right? Did you guys get to Cleveland or something? We were, we were, we, were go- we were literally driving, you know, on Route 8090 through downtown Cleveland when we got the call. And the gig was in Cleveland. I, I, I actually, you know, <laughs> oh, I, just, no. I just spoke to 
I just spoke to Bobby the other day, so I got it. I got I got Bobby's our driver. He was the bus driver. Bob, Bobby was our driver. He was he was basically the sixth blessed union, you know. Yeah. And, uh, he was so family. And, he was so man, family. He, yeah, his family and you know these Nashville bus drivers, man. They got a saying for everything, and most of them I can't say on your podcast. Right. But uh, <laughs> but uh, 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 but yeah. So he was driving, and this is early in the morning. I mean, we we stranded Eddie. It was still nighttime. I believe. Yeah. I and uh, like so, I mean, the sun had just risen. Bobby gets this call from our office and we had, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be kind. We had this guy <laughs> working in our office and he was an effing moron. All right. So, so he called and, and he, I mean, anyway, so he calls up <laughs> Bobby and he goes, Bobby, you left Eddie at the last truck stop you stopped at, and it's your fault. You know what? You never said it's your fault to Bobby Edwards, oh, even yeah. when it was Bobby Edwards' fault. And yeah. this one wasn't. I was sitting in the front lounge, and he literally levitated off of his seat. I thought he was going to kick out the front windshield. He got so <laughs> hopping mad. I thought I was going to have to take over the wheel, and he started calling this guy some choice some choice southern homilies and uh <laughs> and uh and uh and then we had to turn the bus back around and drive two hours back <sighs> and go pick up uh eddie and then uh got on the bus like this back. yeah oh, I, got, I got right in my bunk i got right in the bunk close the curtain i was like okay i'm sorry I'm now, sorry now now <laughs> eddie i don't know if you told there is actually a term for this yeah, there is. The term. yeah grease spotting which means when you walk out of the truck stop, all you see is a grease spot. Yeah, bus, bus ain't there. Bus ain't there, but there's a little grease spot where it was. Yeah. So yeah. they grease spotted me. That's yeah. what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, you uh, know, band talk. Band talk. <laughs> you know, then, I was talking to uh, 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 Mark uh, McGrath, Sugar Ray, right? Yeah. And uh, remember, he was talking about uh, somebody was telling him that he had really bad breath really bad breath. And I was like, yeah, everybody, every band has one. If it's either in the band or the crew, there's always somebody with bad breath, <laughs> you know, so, so, so don't feel bad, but I mean, you know, but he's like the singer. You know? <laughs> he's like, yeah. You know, yeah. You, know, you got to watch that. That's a doctor. They usually, they usually expect that from the drummer because yeah, that's, for why me, keep, you know? that's why, that's why they keep behind all that furniture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you see the plexiglass guard, there's a, re that's yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something, man. I've, I've had the plexiglass foisted on me in a number of occasions. The most insulting one, one, one of my other gigs that I've held on for a long time, I, 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 you probably know the comedic actor Dennis Leary, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm his musical director, and I've known Dennis since he was 18. And, I, and in that band, I'm the drummer as well. He lets me lead a 10-piece band, because like as, as I like to say, when I'm spending other people's money, I can afford to hire the best. So uh, you have an uh, in-depth knowledge of the song "Asshole." That oh, yeah, I'm, I'm on that song. I'm, I'm I'm on that song. I'm the guy yeah. doing all the orchestrations and the explosions. So just uh, one of the uh, just one of the assholes. You know, a whole group of them. That, that video, by the way, voted funniest video in the history of MTV. Wow! Uh, which, I didn't know that. You know, and Mike Mike will get this. I always liked Hawaiian Sophie better. Do you remember that rap record? No, Hawaiian, Hawaiian Sophie. Sophie? Oh. Yeah, it had like a 
Hawaiian Steel Breakdown. It was like a one-hit wonder rap record. And the video was oh, and also uh, Biz Marquee uh, Just for oh, Fun. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. to me is you can't you, got you can't do better. You can't do better than just a friend if you're just aiming for dumb laughs. But uh, anyway, uh, we do an annual gig up in Boston where we play Boston Garden, do a big comedy show, and it sells it out, and we raise all this money. I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars for kids with cancer. So uh, uh, with the Cam Neely Foundation, Cam, president of the Bruins, I got to say all this. So anyway, um, they started putting plexiglass in front of me. I'm at Boston Garden. Apparently, that's how loud I drum. Ooh. And, he does, uh, he and hits pretty hard. He hits pretty I do hard. Hit pretty, he does man, you know, I, I you know, I I I plied my craft, I learned my craft playing Jersey bar gigs, three sets a night, just looking at people shuffle around the dance floor. And Eddie will tell you this as a drummer, like. You're coming up and you're just, you're playing these gigs and you're kind of learning like what a drummer actually does in a band. But you know, all you're seeing is people's behinds because everybody's standing in front of you, the, the other fellas in the band. So, mm-hmm. and they're not really turning around that you to go, hey, dude, get down. You know, I mean, it's just like they're <laughs> up there doing their show, right? Yeah. So, so then, so you start watching the audience. Eddie, tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like, you start saying, like, hey, man, if I switch this beat up, I can make everybody move different. And then, mm-hmm. like, if I break it down and, like, get a little bit more on the top, everybody's ass is going to get low. Yeah. And the guitar, <laughs> guys aren't, the guitar guys aren't doing that. You know, the mm-hmm. bass player might be assisting me in doing that, but I'm I'm like a 17-year-old kid, and all of a sudden I realized I could boss a hundred people around just yeah. by like how... changing the groove. Just by changing yeah, the groove. And, and man, that is when it's just a lesson in music. And and the other thing that I think Eddie will uh will agree with me with is um, you know, as gigs got better, and you know, Eddie and I had both been a little bit on an A-list circuit, him in LA, me in New York. So Eddie mm-hmm. was like Cream of the crop, R and B, Shanice, Johnny Gill. You know, he's really in that world. I was holding down gigs with Rick Derringer, Edgar Winter, Ozzy Osbourne. Like those, nice. those were the guys. And also doing a lot of New York sessions. I was the featured keyboard player on the first Suzanne Vega record. You know, it was just like constant work. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had. No, we had both played arenas, you know, but collectively, you know, now we're starting off in this band and, you know, we're taking these guys that have not had that experience into there. And man, you learn so much. If you're fortunate enough to get to play what they call the big rooms, you know, Mm -hmm. which are like theaters above 5,000 or arenas or stadiums, and you got your show down enough that you can listen to what's going on, like, you know, just like how what you're doing is rolling out over that audience, man, that is the final chisel in like making you kind of like a a rock solid performer on that level. And uh, 
if you listen to records from the early 70s, like, you know, that was a time when guys would make a record and then two weeks later, they're playing stadiums. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, bands like Fog Hat, Humble Pie, Humble Pie, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> bands like that. You know, just like all the, you know, even Sabbath, you know, just like come to America, bang, you're in arenas. You're not playing theaters. They played the film, you know, and then they, and then they're playing arenas. So, yeah. but, and there's, you know, I play with all different kinds of musicians here, but the guys that I get on gigs with who have played the big rooms, there's just, there's a Zen to the way that they play. Like they're playing a lot, but they ain't playing nothing. You know, mm. and I know that Eddie knows this vibe as well, you know, just like, but you get that experience and that really like, especially after we put out Walk It Off the Buzz, yeah, um, where we really got, you know, there weren't a whole lot of bands back there that got a second life. And we saw a lot of bands that did not deserve this yeah. to really coast for years and years and years and years and years on one effing song. I mean, <laughs> yep. You know, we're over there tap dancing, you know, trying to like, I mean, I used to tell the fellas and a couple of them would get a little angry at me when I told them this, <laughs> when, when, when I would say, hey, look, you got, y'all can consider yourselves the most wonderful troubadours in the world. And we're just coming up with this stuff like, like we're just, we're just blessed to be writing these hit records. But let me explain to you what your job actually is. Said at eight o'clock in the morning, Radio station's going to play a two-minute commercial block. And then there's going to be four minutes of dead space. And then they're going to come back and they're going to play four more minutes of commercials. Your job is to come up with something better than the guy that Christina Aguilera hired to fill up that four minutes. And if you don't, then we've completely messed up. So, <laughs> so don't kid yourselves about what, your, what our job is. You've just got to come up with a better four minutes than Christina Aguilera. Can you do it? Uh, yeah, right. Well, do you have enough money to do it? That's the whole premise of radio is to sell advertising. I mean, it's yeah. like, yeah. you know, but the, that was the thing that really were... just the advertisement for the advertisement. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But that yeah. was the thing that we were really proud of is that we launched this factory out of a cinder block room in Cincinnati, Ohio on the banks of the Ohio River. I mean, I'm not being romantic. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, uh, and some outside producers tried to muck around with things on the first album. We got most of it back. There was some stuff that could not be repaired. Ooh. And you also pick and choose your battles with the record company. Yeah. So, you know, the stuff that could not be repaired at the end of the day, all came out in the wash. But after that, I mean, the next two albums, that's, that's us. That, that's just us, you know? Uh, just literally trying to do that, come up with the better four minutes. We knew how it worked out, but you know, we were the kind of band, you know, we were adopted by pop radio and we accepted that. You know, so there were radio festivals we'd show up to. We were the only band with a backline and we're on a bill yeah. with 12 other acts and they're all track acts. Yeah. You know, they're all boy or girl bands. And then there's us. Well, we you did know? the country we, thing for a minute, too. Remember when we did the the, uh, the CMT thing? Yeah, uh, we, hmm. were, did the, uh, we were playing in Walmart parking lots. 
they would set up these huge stages in Walmart parking lots across the country. And really? uh, I forgot we were, we were somewhere and we're on stage and you can look, it was really flat. I don't know if it was Texas, where it was. And it was Texas. Never seen this anywhere else, but there was a tornado. We were like, wow, there's a tornado. You could see it in the sky while you were on stage. It was just going yeah. across the thing. Like, and we were just jamming. It, was, <laughs> it the tornado was far stage right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was it, it was behind the monitor guy. I think it wanted more wedge. Yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> I want to say that like, I want to be there was, I mean, we did the Crook and Chase show and that, that was national. Yeah. National. I kept getting royalty checks for it, but wasn't I want to be there, even though that was a pop radio hit, wasn't that, didn't that cross over into country music? I mean, crossed it, over a little bit in the country. It was yeah. like in the top 10 of CMT for a while, wasn't it? Or well, something? that's how we got on that yeah. tour. That's how we got on the yeah. CMT tour. Yeah. Okay. okay that makes yeah. sense. Because that was all, uh, yeah, that was set up through the distribution. And actually that was... That was the tour. Okay, I'll tell you what, you know, all these people are dead, or at least I wish they were the richest people in the cemetery. But let me tell you a little story. Let me tell you a little story about how wonderful the record business was, Naomi. I know you think, because I, I know you all think it was just like peaches and cream and like I, you know, everybody got four girls to carry them around in a throne. But it, actually, it wasn't really quite like that. And let me tell you a little story about that tour. So we set up this tour right when our second album got released by our original label, EMI, otherwise known as Every Mistake Imaginable. And- <laughs> There and, it is, I do it. And we, the way this was gonna work out, we went down and did a week in Texas, playing these Walmart parking lots with a portable stage. And it was a big deal because we were the first pop rock band to ever get to do this. Before this, it was all country. Yeah, so and biracial, broke, and biracial. Yeah. Yeah, so we broke a couple or of interracial, sorry, not biracial interracial. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, we broke a couple of barriers just just by the fact that this thing was even planned, right? So we go down and we do Texas the first week because it literally takes you a week to do all of Texas. Yeah. And then we drive back up to Cincinnati and we play by the river, debuting our second album to like what is it, like fifty thousand people showed up at yeah, that yeah. at that gig. More, you know. It was pandemonium and then we turn the bus right around and we drive back down south and now we're doing going to start in uh algiers louisiana which is basically right across the river from new orleans and make our way across to i think tallahassee florida play all the gulf states right mm -hmm. now the way this was worked out was the bus that we were on was paid for by a record company american express card all right so that's an important thing for you to know and we're not carrying around a rented backline. We're carrying around the gear that we, the record company didn't buy us this gear. We bought this gear with our money. All right, so watch it, your mic. Don't hit your mic. Oh, oh sorry. So, <laughs> again, so, something to remember. All right. So now we get down and all these gigs were in the afternoon, all daylight, you know, nothing romantic, nothing at night. They're all daylight gigs. So we're down in Algiers, Louisiana. I got a lot of pals down there in New Orleans. You know, a lot of guys came out to see me. Um, and this is back in the day, just to show you what year, this is 1997. Here's a time capsule for you. We had the band cell phone. Yes. Was it a brick? Or was it oh, a yeah, razor but, flip? Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. I'm telling you, yeah, it was one. We had the band cell phone. <laughs> There were no other cell phones. There was just the band cell phone. Yeah. And 
I was the last guy, you know, we're using the bus as the dressing room out there in the parking lot in Algiers, and I'm the last guy off the bus. And as I'm leaving, phones ring. So I look, and it's our management. I flip it down, and our manager at the time says, don't tell any of the guys this until after you're off the stage, but your record label just went out of business. The parent company in England has put EMI US out of business, and right now you don't have a record label. And I said, well, that's really interesting since our album's been out a week or less than a week, but I'll let the fellas know after we play. So we play the whole gig, right? And we get back on the bus and I said, guys, this is what's going on, you know? I told them and then we got back on the phone and got a little bit more. Now at that, we were assured and they would have been idiot, idiots not to, that we were either going to end up, the, there were two other labels owned by that company, which were uh, Virgin, Virgin yeah. or uh, Capital. And we, we were told we were going to end up on one of those labels. We ended up on Capital. That's a whole other hassle ride. But anyway, so, um, so, all right. So, but we still have to do this tour because this is for Anderson distribution and we can't make these gentlemen angry at us. Mm. But here was the thing. When the label folded, they closed all the corporate accounts. So all of a sudden, the bus driver's boss calls us up and says, well, what the hell, man? I can't draw on this credit card anymore. And we said, well, that's fine. We're going to finish the tour and we'll get them to pay you through another credit card, like a Visa or a MasterCard. Well, I don't accept those. Really? <laughs> we, so, 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 so we got a problem. So here's what, here's what happened. And I can't believe that people agreed to do this because I flew back to New York after the Tallahassee gig, and I didn't realize this was going to happen. That guy, the guy who was the boss of that bus company, decided that what he was going to keep for collateral was our gear. So after they played Tallahassee, we drove the guys back to Cincinnati, but he padlocked the, uh, the trailer, and he wouldn't let any of the gear off it, wouldn't let the crew take the gear off it, and said he was going to call the cops if they uh, destroyed the lock. And he drove that bus back down to Nashville. And our gear sat in a hot parking lot in that trailer for a week until we could get somebody at a record company to pay this bus company off. And then we had to send one of our crew guys all the way down to Nashville from Cincinnati in a van to load up all of our gear and drive it back to Cincinnati. Now, he so, says he's going to call the cops, but is it even legal for him to do that? Well, we didn't want that kind of trouble because there was just too much riding on this tour. Mm. And we didn't, you know, listen, you know, the political games. Oh, yeah, know, that's what I was going to say, politics, the, man. The, the, the political games you had to play. So, you know, the other thing that we're thinking about is, hey, look, we're about to get thrown at Capitol Records. Capitol Records at that time, for all intents and purposes, was an alternative label, all right? They had the Dandy Warhols, yeah, they Marcy had the Playground. Foo Fighters, Marcy and Playground. Marcy Playground, and they had a little band called Radiohead, <laughs> and they didn't have no pop. Now they were thrilled, and I'm not kidding. Like their radio promotion people were ecstatic, and I gotta say that kind of in the shadows, they kept 
two songs off that second album just bubbling, just bubbling, 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 like constant airplay. And especially I want to be there. You know, it's interesting. I want to be there and let me be the one were really Jeff's songs. Mm -hmm. And those songs, I think, were our most, they weren't our biggest hits, but a lot of radio guys, so they were the most recurrent hits because of the grooves in them. Mm. But Jeff really, Jeff's songs really kept us on the radio even when we were not producing, you know, like between records and stuff. And they really did write for, but that's just a little story about how the record business worked. And yeah, we just didn't want to make any waves because now we're coming in. And here's the thing, when you're foisted on a label, you're nobody's pet project. Mm -hmm. you know, no, nobody there has any pride in you. They step didn't child. develop. We, we, didn't we were the stepchild. You're, you're, you're the redheaded stepchild left on the porch where maybe they can ring you out and a couple of dollar bills will come out, you know? Oh. Um, and, and here was the thing, because we're on this alternative label and especially like the Foos and Radiohead are just kicking it, right? So, you know, it gets to be like these big radio promotion seasons, like I, you know, like Memorial Day. Fourth of July, Labor Day. And then like you get into the Christmas season where every radio station, pop radio station in America is pretty like their Christmas jam, you know? Yeah. We played in December of 1997. We were bounced around the country from coast to coast playing all of these Christmas jams that they wanted the Foo Fighters, a radio had to show up. These guys weren't going to show up for a pop station, play for these guys. And we went and played for them. But here's how the record business works, Naomi. They <laughs> wanted right. radio. They wanted radio. Head. And Capitol Records said, well, will you keep playing this crossover radio head record if we send you Blessed Union of Souls? Yes. Do you think the money that they spent on those plane tickets got charged to Radiohead? Because I found out how much they spent in plane tickets in 1997 dollars, and it was $60,000 wow. just for the month of December. Yeah. <laughs> and, and guess who's still paying for that? You. Yeah. Yep. So this, this is how the record company worked. Mm -hmm. You know, this is how record companies work. Yeah. Hey, what can Give you do? Give you everything on a platter, and then you get the bill. Well, you know, yeah, it's, exactly. just, it's it's literally the worst bank loan you ever signed. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's like, yeah, it's it's literally like you sign a bank loan to buy a house, and instead the bank tells you how to build the house and what color it needs to be, yeah, and who's not allowed to come in. Yeah, and even though we, even though right now everybody says, you know, it's the worst thing in the world. You don't want to sign a label. You don't have to sign a label because all these things are available to you now. You got your social media. You got your this. You it's know, a mess kind of, now, you know, you got Sound Exchange. You got you know Song Trust. You got blah 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 blah. Yeah, but you don't have the money the labels have, nor do you have the connections these guys have. And mm. politically speaking, you know, you don't have enough money to get in that political arena that the labels have. So yeah. I mean. You the, better write a hit. That, yeah, you better write a hit that, that people can grab onto. And because this is the thing, the new record labels are the TikTok influencers anyway. You know, mm -hmm. so you got to get an influencer. And, and the labels will admit the yeah. labels will admit that to you. Yeah. The ones the the just the one good thing that record companies could do, and and nobody else has been able to do this. Everybody in the world would know who you are for one week. Yeah. <laughs> my question, and the question would be, hey, 
jerk. What are you going to do with a week? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, at, at that point, but you know, when I worked, when I worked with Ozzy and it, listen, I got to say, we had ups and downs with our management, but they did keep us on the radio. And, and the, the one thing, the one lesson I learned from being an Ozzy's band, cause I really got on great with Sharon. I just thought, you know, and you could, she really is the powerhouse that she comes on to be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we'd be talking about, you know, and she knew I was really in the history of these bands and especially like all the Sabbath era things. I'm very influenced with that coming up as a kid. And, you know, and I would say like, hey, but whatever happened to like so-and-so, whatever happened to Savoy Brown, you know, whatever happened, you know, whatever band it is. And she'd go, Charlie, there's only three things you need to know when you ask a question like that. Whatever happened to a band? And the answer is always management, management, management. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's really That's true. Yeah. yeah. And 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 I got to, you know, our guys were really adept at keeping us on the radio. In a certain way, it was kind of our undoing because they were always smarter than the radio promotion guys. And their big mistake was. They kept telling the radio promotion guys they were smarter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, don't mess with somebody's ego when they're right. spending the record. <laughs> and, you know? As any hedges yeah. can preach to you, pride goeth before a fall. Goeth before the fall. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> oh, these are the kind of experiences that I'm just like, I'm doing this for to hear these stories. Like, wow, it's incredible. Oh, yeah. There's well, we got other one. stories too, but I can't tell them to you here. <laughs> she don't care about my car. She don't care about my money. It's real good because I don't got a lot to spend. And if I did, it wouldn't mean nothing. She likes me for me. Not because I look like Tyson Bedford with the charm of Losing out my ears What she sees Are my faults and indecisions My insecure conditions And the tears upon the pillow that I shed She don't care about my big screen My collection of DVDs After these messages Dope Nostalgia listeners, I love you and I thank you so much for being a part of this show and its success over the last two years. We have what's called Patreon for those who want to support the show financially. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a subscriber and get bonus content, early podcast release, all kinds of cool behind the scenes stuff and more. There's different tiers of membership starting at only $1 a month. And we even have some special merch for you guys who are in it for the long run. So please join our Patreon. It's at www.patreon.com forward slash dope nostalgia. Love music? Who Who doesn't? doesn't? Who and what were the albums and artists that really turned you onto music? The ones that made you really stop and listen. The ones that shaped your tastes and opened your horizons. That's what we want to talk about. Dig deep into your vinyl, CDs, or even stream away. Let's listen and learn all about what made you fall in love with music in the first place. This is Learning to Listen. 
So good. Okay, interesting take. Uh, could you read it like a human being? Or, uh... That's exactly the way a human would read that. Take two. The ones that, uh, I don't know, shaped your tastes and opened your horizons, you know? That's, that's, that's what we want to talk about, you know? You know? Dig, dig deep into your vinyl, CDs, or even stream away. Join Quinn, Charlie, and myself, Naomi, for a brand new album every single week on L2L, Learning to Listen. Found everywhere great podcasts are served. It's Magic Summer from Coca-Cola Classics. You never know wherever you go, you might find magic in a Coca-Cola Classic. The icy cold, real cola taste of Coca-Cola Classic. It'll make your summer magic. There's magic in the Hey, listen, we can't tell you the story about what was the Germany gig where we started off. They Listen, they took us out. Now we have to do a gig the next day. The day before, they take us out to these Sotheby auctions, right? So we're doing these Sotheby auctions, but we start early in the morning and they break out the champagne. Now, we're drinking champagne from like 8 o'clock in the morning <laughs> until they take it to some bar. All I remember was we're in this bar now and, I, we've been, and I'm not much of a drinker. So I'm a really, really lightweight, but we've been sipping all day. Mm-hmm. I go and we were with, um, was it Collective Soul? Who, who was the guys yeah, we were Collective with? Soul. Collective Soul. And there was a, an alternative band. They were from New York. I hated them and I hated <laughs> the people in them, but I forgot the name of the band. And they were just the darlings of Darlingville. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but the, the the collective so so we end up in the club together at the, in this bar and mm-hmm. drinking and partying and drinking and the next thing I know I'm out on the bench. I had to get outside and get some air because I'm like, okay, this is I have never. You know, when the first time you get trashed and you're like, okay, I wasn't trying to get here. You know, I just went <laughs> a little buzz. You know, and now you can't control nothing and you're throwing up all over. So I'm sitting out on this bench. And we're in the black forest in Germany somewhere. Next thing I remember, I'm in my hotel room. I woke up the next morning in the hotel room. Don't know how I got there. And it was one of those rooms where it's like a tri-level hotel room. That hotel was nuts. I it was crazy. My room I, in there. I don't even know how I got around it. But there was, there was a trail of throw up from my front door all the Ooh. way up the steps around all right up to the bed. I'm like it was. It was the hand, here. It was the Hansel and Gretel principle. And he it needed to find his way back. I find my way back to the front door. Follow the puke. But it was it, man. But but there were these. And the crazy thing is, I watched the video of the show that we did the next day, mm. and you could just see me sweating liquor. I was just playing. Oh, man. I was dying. Yeah, we, I was we dying. were playing a live television show. It was it was in Baden Baden, Germany. Yeah, and we did, we, were, we did um, Jimi Hendrix them changes. Oh, and in the middle we did a drum solo, and I walk behind Eddie, and all I can smell is wine. Yeah. <laughs> and after the show, I'm like, "What was it?" He goes, "That's me." Is this? <laughs> it was coming sweating. out of me. I guess you probably didn't have much of a chance to get food in you either. Oh, no, man. no, and not much. Only- hey, you know what? We we did we did. What was it like? Five countries in six days or something like that. Yeah, that, that that was the second 
Second promo tour. Wow. Yeah. That's nothing. They did give but, us a little bit of time off in uh, Amsterdam, though. So that was kind of yeah. weird. Okay, you got a couple days off in Amsterdam. Uh, but Naomi, <laughs> I, when, when we went over, took the whole band over, for we did this really short German tour. And it was mostly promo, which we were doing a lot of television. You know, New York City is filled with guys who have had gigs where they go over and do promotion in Germany. And I've asked all these heavy hitters here, what's the strangest experience you've had professionally? And we all agree it's doing German television, especially German morning television. We have some freaky it's, shows. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> literally like you're on acid. It's, it's, nothing makes, I mean, they'll have, they'll have an oompa band and then they'll have like, some little kids like dancing to like a hard techno track and then like a, a dog act that, with some magic and then blessing you to your souls. And then like, you know, it will be like, you know, another thing. And it's just, and you're just, uh, but you know what thing that got me the most was when you're sitting in a hotel room, I'm in a room and I'm watching TV and I'm watching these commercials. There's a shampoo commercial and this woman's in the shower. This woman's in the shower. Yeah. And, <laughs> You see this woman, it's a shampoo, and she's in this butt naked in the shower. I'm like, can they show that on TV? I'm like, I want to get that shampoo. That was going to be my point. Eddie, you know what happened after that? They sold a lot of shampoo. They sold a lot Europeans, of Europeans are very open to nudity. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they yes. are. We've been. I've been. I've, I've been in these off years. I've been very blessed to go over to Europe a lot. With uh, he's now retired, but a guy named Garland Jeffries, who uh, you mm -hmm. might remember, uh, as his keyboard player for years and years and years, and also uh, my band I had called Eliza Colby Sound, and we were going over there and uh, playing. And it's it's fantastic over there, yeah. man. Yeah. It's uh -huh. just. And I gotta say, the other country because. I, Eddie and I were there a lot in the late 80s, and then I wasn't there until like 2016, maybe 17, and then I was there two years in a row. Japan is like a completely new country now. Oh, like yeah. It's just completely different. And yeah. what is different about Japan, Naomi, I think you'll like this, is that women have kind of taken it over, which was really? only an improvement, which only be yeah, an improvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the first time I went over there in the late 80s, if I had even suggested that maybe a woman should be working front of house or running monitors, I would have been laughed out of the theater. Mm. And these last two times I've been back, like just everywhere. It's just, yeah. it's gotten yeah. the whole, it's, it's such a fresh new thing. And man, there, I've, I'm constantly waffling between what is the cooler place berlin or tokyo it's like both of those cities are just mm -hmm. and very much for different reasons and own yeah. in both in their own very yeah. uh, different ways but there's parts of tokyo that are just like you just can't believe it you that's my number one it. number one bucket list trip is tokyo for me tokyo? you gotta go yeah you, you gotta go and yeah. you know when you go there, you know, you're going to be expecting everybody to be like this big technological thing and, you know, trains coming out of buildings and, you know, just like <laughs> completely insane stuff. But one of the greatest things in Tokyo, man, you got to go to the parks. Yeah. The parks are insane. And it's like, 
they, you know, they know the park is in Tokyo. So the whole point of the park is let's forget that you're in Tokyo. You know, it's not like Central Park where you're constantly surrounded by like all these gargantuan buildings, which is a cool effect. You know, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I love my city. Mm. But the whole point of the parks in Tokyo is like, OK, now you're in the park. You're not in the city anymore. You're in the park, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, oh, man, it's just awesome. Just and both those cities, they're hard to find a bad meal. in. Well, I tell you where it's hard to find a bad meal is Italy. Oh, everything and oh, everything in Italy when tastes we went great. To Italy, yeah, we everything went to Italy, tastes great. I don't else. care where you go to eat; mm-hmm. it yeah. all just tastes great. I, I don't understand the soil or something. I don't know what it is, but it's great. We did a what uh, when we went to Italy. We did some of the strangest promotion things we ever did on television, and Tony wasn't with us on the first trip. Oh, yeah. So, well, you know, because record companies don't want to spend money. So, and I got to say, they kind of spent money on us on these trips. Like everybody had yeah. their own room, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, you know, again, it was, it was Go to trying to put us, <laughs> you know, yeah. Stay. So, so uh, we had to go play in Parma at a castle, a castle yeah. and we're playing, I believe. And we had to lip sync it and these european record guys didn't appreciate i mean look not that i need my butt kissed but you know and but they didn't appreciate that that was kind of an insult to ask american band guys to do you know it's one thing if you're playing bandstand that's dick f and clark you know (laughs) but i mean real you know that's very commonplace on shows like top of the pops and well, we, yeah, well, we, we played, we played live on top of the pops. Harumph, yeah, harumph, harumph. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, Hold that off. Good. But yeah, uh, and Celine was there though. And Celine, but she did her, she worked, she did a track. Yeah, you but know, she, she sang, she sang live. Sang. We could, she sang. We could hear her voice louder from where she was standing than through the PA on top of the pops. Yeah. Oh, oh, I talked oh. to her. I went, up, I went up to her and talked to her, you know, because I'm a huge Celine fan. I, I just, you know, so I go. You know, I, I said, wow, Celine, I'm finally going to go and talk to her. I'm going to say, hey, you know, I really love your voice. You're such a talent. And I go, hi, Celine. You know, I'm Eddie. I'm really, you know, it's great to meet you. I really love your voice. You're such a talent. She goes and she writes down. Thank you. She doesn't say a word. She won't talk, mm-hmm. you know, and then she walks off. I was like, well, OK, then yeah. <laughs> okay. she yeah. I think I think it's I'm not sure how many if it's a full day or two or a certain amount of hours where she will not use her voice before yeah. a show. Yeah. 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 She wouldn't. And, uh, and the thing was her dressing room, of course they, here were the acts that were on the show that night. So it was us. It was Celine. Uh, it was Montel. This is how we do. Yeah. Wasn't Charles and Eddie on the show too, though? What I lied to you, honey. What I lied right. to and yeah, nice. and Supergrass. Now, oh, Supergrass, yeah. one of my favorite bands of all time from England, and those lads know how to play the rock. Yeah, man. Yeah. So they, they had put, a day. Hey, we stayed in the same hotel in in, in Amsterdam. We we all had time off. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So we they put our they our two dressing rooms were next to each other, and Celine's dressing room is across the hall. So you know. Rock bands are rock bands. So it's like, 
you know, two guys start talking outside the room and then pretty much like all the band guys are just out in the hallway and we're all just having a nice chat, you know, about whatever the hell we're talking about. Celine comes out of her dressing room and sees all these rock guys there and just kind of hugs the wall. <laughs> like she doesn't even want to breathe the same air as us, you know? Uh, but yeah, we got our way on that show because we were just playing, I believe, acoustic guitar, digital piano, and, a shaker, and singing live in the shaker. And we just played it live. But on this Italian show, they insisted that we lip sync. And the label guys from Italy, they were the nicest guys in the world. And one of the guys, I think he's actually gone to the University of Indiana, like spoke perfect English, you know, and uh, sorry, things keep popping up on my phone here. And um, so I'm talking to the guy and I go, you know, we, I understand that there's technological considerations, you know, uh, and I also, it was raining, so we had to do it in the rain. So it was yeah. raining on this piano that I'm piano sinking on, you know, mm. and uh, and uh, I go, but you know, it's it's, you know, we're American musicians. We want to come here and play, and we'd rather play this live. And the guy looks at me and he goes, "Oh, but lip syncing is so much better." And I go, "Well, why do you say that?" And he goes, "Well, what if you made a mistake?" I said, who else are you signing, dude? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, and then you I go, mean, I, that's the magic of it. <laughs> I, I, we can. You, find, you find all the beauty in the mistakes. Are you kidding? Yeah, right? Yeah. Well, well, not only that, I said, dude, I learned my craft in a state called New Jersey. There's not going to be any damn mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> There's no mistakes here. We've done this that's before. That's true, too. Yeah. Wow, anyway, that was a great. Gig, how though, would man. it be any fun for a musician in, at all to just be doing the lip sync, the oh, fake plug-in like what, that? There's no fun in that. Oh, oh, here's what was worse, and this was on the second promo trip. So we're <laughs> getting bounced around Europe like a Super Bowl. I mean, we're literally like you know when you see kids in the mall getting dragged by their moms and they don't know where <laughs> they are and their coats drag them behind them and they're just like in this sort of like K hole. That was pretty much us on the second because. We had done something at the Letterman Theater and just got picked up in limos. Kennedy Airport. Okay, you're in Europe. Mm. What? Okay, yeah, yeah we're yeah, back yeah. in Europe. Yeah. Whoa. So they fly us to Spain, all right? And that's the first time I'd been in Spain. And just for a little history, you know, Spain had really been off limits to the United States while this guy, Franco, was running it. So it was very recently open to, like, you know, sort of the West and, and, and what the West was doing. Or the whole culture, and, yeah. And, mm. and the people there are beautiful. The country's beautiful. I've spent a lot of time there in the last 10 years, and it's the best rock fan, rock, like rock fans in the world in mm. Spain, right, right now. Just really appreciating the art form, the whole thing, they're just down with it, you know? But mm. so we go there, and we do this television show. First of all, the audience is literally the prettiest girl I've ever seen, except for the one standing next to her, except for the one standing <laughs> next to her. Except it was like a room full of like, like you just didn't know where to look. And when you signed, they we were set up on this big island, like it was up in the air. And we're set up on this thing in a circle. 
And they were coming up to us with like little booklets to sign. And you'd sign them. And these chicks were up front, man. This is Spanish girls don't mess around. They'd grab your head. I go. <laughs> okay. Well, the first time that I was just like, oh, sister, what? Whoa, whoa. You know? And then just bang, bang, bang. It's just like, so, you know, that's before. So now we're playing. So, you know, they've given us a nice little setup to do, I believe, do our lip syncing, I believe. And I've got one keyboard. We get, and Eddie, I don't know if you remember this, we get halfway through it, stop audio. Yeah. I see all the technical guys are talking. The guys come up to me and say, well, we, we, we have a problem. Well, what's the problem? Well, you know, it's the piano, right? Yeah. Because also, also the strings. I go, well, that's an orchestra, man. That's Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, which is who it is, by the way. Um, mm. Play on that, you, you know, that's an orchestra. They go, you have to play the string part. I go, what? what? What are you talking about? We're getting you another keyboard. And they had this argument with me. They said, now, you know, it was hard enough to play the piano part in that song. And, and now they want me to play those other three guys are crying. They're laughing so hard. And I just look like, I look like I'm failing my SATs all over again. You know, it's just like, it's the dumbest thing. And this is happening to me in a room full of a hundred of the most beautiful animals. And it's, <laughs> of course, you know, and I had to, I mean, my left hand just looked like I was slapping the keyboard with an octopus, you know, <laughs> it just, it was the worst. Anyway, that's, that's yeah. where you take your chances when you do international promo. Yeah. You know, that's, you take your chances when you do promo. You know? yeah. 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 They just go here, go there, do this, do that. You're like, okay. Yeah. Cause you kind of have oh, and, you know, I, I, My favorite movie in the world is the Beatles movie, A Hard Day's Night. And not just because it's about the Beatles, but I mean, I started to notice this, you know, with the good things that were happening in my life before the Blessed Union. But with the Blessed Union, the spookiest thing about A Hard Day's Night, because, you know, you watch that movie and I'm, that movie is brilliant. You yeah. watch that movie, but it was so exciting and it was the beginning of the 60s and everybody was so full of hope and you're watching the Beatles be rock stars in England and you know that whole movie was completely filmed before they even came over and played Sullivan that movie was oh. already in the can so I'm sorry I'm a big historian about this one. so but but you know you look at all the stuff that happens in the movie and even the stuff that's played for laughs and you go well that's great the Beatles made a really funny entertaining movie about their make-believe rock star lives mm. then you get in the Blessed Union and everything in that movie starts to come true. And, and Paul's grandfather in the movie has the best line about doing that for a job because he's come along for the ride with the guys thinking it's going to be this great vacation of just like sun and fun and women and lollygagging around. And he's very disappointed and complains to the guys that so far, I've been in a train and a room and a car and a room and a room and a room. And that's it. That's, <laughs> that's what it's like. That's, that's it. just, and everything else in that movie, all the goofy stuff that happened, a version of that 
we experienced. Well, the best too is is you you tell somebody, yeah, man, I've I've been around the world a couple of times. Do you enjoy it? Well, it was all through a window. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's about it. You don't get to really take it in. No, especially when you're in like the, the height of the, of what's happening with the music on the radio and everything's going and going and going. Oh yeah. Just right. The first time. That's why they gave you three days off in Amsterdam. Yes, <laughs> a great place to have you know, love you know, uh, one of the I think one of the last European tours I did with Garland, we did a little bit of England and then went into Europe um, or a, a long haul tour. Uh, the way it worked out, the band had three days off in Glasgow. <laughs> wow. Glasgow. Wow. I don't know if you know of a single malt called Ardbeg. Oh, no. But but I'll tell you what, it makes the haggis go down real nice. <laughs> <laughs> makes the what go down? The haggis. Oh, you don't know what haggis is? No. Oh, that's Scottish soul food, my friend. Oh, it's basically, man. It's basically all the stuff that you don't use from the animal you butchered. <laughs> from the tied, up, tied up, I believe, in its stomach, which is yeah. then cooked forever. And then present it. Now, I was, I didn't have it in the stomach. I had it more as like, uh, it was almost like haggis burritos, yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. But uh, they, they would have these things in bars and tell you, you hit the spot after two hard bags because I'm a lightweight. Did, didn't you get sick on that um, during the Mike Mechanics tour or something? I didn't get, I no, didn't get that was, no, that was somebody got st- sick on Indian food. Yeah, but that wasn't me. That, I, I got sick on sushi. In California, and you had to come in and experience. Oh man, the whole, yeah. whole, whole poor, like poor Tony. Poor Aww. Tony was my poor Tony was my go-to guy, man. Oh, yeah, I, get, I get a phone the call. The Charlie was trying to get me to go out and do sushi the night before. I get a phone call the next morning, and all I get was, "Man, if you ever owed me anything, you got to do me a favor and get me some like some saltines and a Gatorade." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I was in bad shape. Wherever I could. And, and we I, had to fly to Charlie's room. I go to Charlie's room. I get like five feet from the door. All I can smell is like this foul fish. that smelled like fish. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. The thing, the, oh, the, was the bad thing was, is we had two shows that next that day. Did that you, day? No, 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 not two shows. We had to fly back to Dayton and play a show outside Dayton, like in the middle of nowhere. I thought we had like two shows there. That no, day. no, no. Because I rem- believe me, I remember. Every oh, that's foot. the time we. That's I remember the time every we... foot of that trip driving back from wherever we were because we were like in SoCal and oh, we had yeah. to drive all the way back to LAX all just right. to get on well, that flight back. The two shows that was the day. Remember, we we took the bus up from somewhere, Kentucky, went up to Pennsylvania or something. Did a show. We hit a Lear and shot over to was it Oklahoma or somewhere. Somewhere, and then we got back on the jet and shot back over to. So yeah, yeah, it no, was that, yeah, that We we, we took a jet out of Ohio, flew to Oklahoma. Huh. We were one of the first bands on a radio fest there, and then flew back to Central PA and played in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. And our little fans, the Jersey Girls, showed up there. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, but you know the the uh, the pilots. The, the first time we were on a. First of all, I'm here to tell you, I don't care if I come off like like an elite rock star snob. Private jets are where it's at. Hey, what about what about the one where we're sitting on the runway in Canada 
We're getting ready to go do. Uh, oh, that was a Kathy Lee. I know we're going to do Regis to Kathy Lee. And we're sitting there. We're all squeezed in. We had to take one of the seats out of the plane just to make enough room. And we're sitting there. Pilot didn't show up. Wasn't it like a, uh, a training pilot or something? It's raining outside, Ooh. you know? And I'm like, and I'm sitting on this box. I'm like, what is this box? And I open it up. It's the bar. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pouring drinks. I start pouring <laughs> drinks. I'm like, if we're going to go, we're going to go to this. You know, we're going to fly to New York so we can get that there was in a, time to do that the was show. That was a rotten ride. Rotten ride to get to <laughs> It's like the wings Regis, were flapping. It Regis was, and Kathy were really good to us and it was well worth it. And, you know, yeah. they sold a lot of records for us. They were really wonderful to us. We played yeah, on that nice. show a lot. Nice. But, but, but yeah. I remember when we took our first Learjet, our first private jet, Elliot was not having it. Like we almost had to drag him onto the jet. Wouldn't have him much of anything though. <laughs> yeah, and the thing was, like on paper, when you spec out these jets, they were literally four times safer than any commercial jetliner you could ever get on. Mm-hmm. Like they had to be, and the way they were serviced, you know, just the regulations around them. I mean, you know, it's a work of art. I so, think it's the turbulence that really scares people because it's going to be a bit louder, I believe, right? But you don't yeah. get that and, on, pri- on private jets. Well, you know jets why? Because, because they, private jets, they fly so much higher. They fly higher than commercial airlines. You yeah. don't get any turbulence at all. Really? We flew over this, we flew over <gasps> this insane thunderstorm that was like, a psychedelic light show on the way out to Oklahoma and it was at night, you know, just, and we're just like, we're looking down at the oh, lightning. It, was like, wow, and just like, I, I, it felt like we were suspended cool. in air, but I hit the pilots the pilots, you know, obviously saw that like Elliot was just flipping out. Right. So we're <laughs> at this tiny little regional airport where we're taking off from and, you know, in a Learjet, Learjet's like one of the smallest private jets you can, uh, take it was uh, historically it was actually the design was originally designed to be a jet fighter for the swedish air force i right. think you guys didn't know that but right. anyway so um so it's very tight in there and so we start you know we get out to the end of the runway they fire up the jets and we start going at about five seconds in like as soon as like you know because in a plane that small those jets i mean you're going a thousand miles an hour right away on the ground. It's like, it's like you know the dotted line that you're. The, it's like the dotted line that's on the runway turns into one line. <laughs> Very and it's, and it's not like you're even in a seven thirty seven. You're on those yeah. little wheels. So I mean, you're the window you're looking out. You're closer to the ground than if you were standing up, you know. And so it, everything's Ooh. going by that fast. And as that happens, one pilot turns to the other and says, "Uh oh." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I started dying. I, I was cracking up. I thought Elliot was going to open the hatch, man. <laughs> I like, thought he was going to dive out. I just said, I, know. I want these guys to be our pilots every time we can afford to do this. They were funny, man. They were hilarious. Yeah. But you know what? I did remember we were so high. You Right. We were so high. We were so <laughs> high up in the air. You could kind of see the curvature of the earth. It, it was, was crazy. It, it was it, a crazy a, thing. I was like, man, we're almost, we're like an inner space, almost out of space. It's yeah. a nutty thing. That's like, You're wow. in low, low earth orbit, basically. <laughs> I know. It's like, it was, it's insane. But, you, you know, know, again, and, and I keep pulling it back to this thing, you know, when stuff like that would happen, when, you know, we would get afforded these, these gifts and blessings. Mm. I mean, I just kept thinking, 
put your knuckleheads in a cinder block room. You yeah. know? I mean, we got to do all that stuff. You know, nobody came in to save us. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we did this well enough to get this, you know, and that, that's always where I was with it, you know. Um, I still am with it, you know. And you know yes. what the whole thing is? I mean, there's we, still we've more done to a do. Lot. Yeah. You know what? And that's exactly it. We've done a lot. And even through all the changes, you know, I think when it's in your DNA, you're just going to keep doing it anyway. And we're actually blessed that we're, we're still, we're all still friends. We're all still, we're all still buddies and we can keep doing this until they tell us to stop, you know? Um, You know, like I said, we'll come back and, you know, music changes, you know, but it all, it's funny because it's, it's a, it's a wheel. It comes all back around again. I mean, right now, you know, the hot stuff is, is the sixties again, basically. I mean, the stuff that was hot back then and people just added some stuff to it and it's it's always that way. So it's funny for me because, you know, and probably for Charlie too, because, you know, we're producers and we're working with other artists. So, you know, it's funny, it's funny because they're like, can you do like the new such and such and such? I'm like, well, he's just doing James Brown or he's yeah, doing it's like Marvin Gaye or he's just doing yeah. Wilson Pickett or this, he's just doing this isn't new this yeah you know it's the same thing I'm pull you know? up for you on Spotify I know and, and, and of course version. yeah you know and then you got like you know Batista he's doing the same thing and then and, then, and Bruno Mars Bruno it's, it's, I love you know, what he's Bruno. doing he's awesome I, he just does it so well you know you know I, I mean he was finesse because it was like new Jack Swing Oh my yeah. goodness! I miss you. <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, he was so groomed. He was so groomed as a child, you know, in that style of music. He just brought it over. The same thing with yeah. Lenny Kravitz did. I mean, the thing mm-hmm. is, like, you know, you keep you you if you keep doing the same thing that some it's going to come back around, then it'll be your turn again, you know. And it just yeah. so happens that's what Bruno, Silk Sonic, all them cats, man, they're doing like the impressions, you know. I mean, they're doing all these 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 old R and B groups, and it's like. You know, and they're using the old synths, the old Junos and the old, you know, all the old sounds. And it's like, people are like, that's so great. I'm like, yeah, but you know, we did that, you know, 20 years ago, it's just come yeah. back around, you know, yeah. but that cat, the thing about Bruno, which I really, really dig about Bruno is he is an entertainer. Those cats are entertainers and that's what you missed. That's what I missed when I started going to concerts anymore. I missed the whole entertainment of it. Yeah. I can get into the fact that this cat's a mean guitar player. Yeah. You know, the guy's a great singer, but I wasn't being entertained. I wasn't, there was no, you know, talking back with, before. there was no, not, there was just, yeah, okay. Crowd interaction. Great. Yeah, there was no interaction, you know, and just, just style on stage. These cats, man, you know, and, and that's what it used to be, you know. It's going to come back around, though, or, the, you know, the, wait till the boy band comes back and they're dancing. You know, everybody's BTS again. You know, it's like, you know, why not? The boy band cycle goes every five to ten years, right? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. I think it's actually around. gotten even more and more current. But yeah, yeah. it's kind actually, of though, I, I was talking with Tony. I got to say, I really like a lot of K-pop that oh, I, I do. Yeah. Um, and 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 I pointed something out to Tony that's, you know, around the time that you know, around 2000 and a little bit before that, when, especially with the emo bands that came in, mm-hmm. the way they started mastering records actually got a name in the audio community, and it was called the death of music. And what they did was, and, 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 and what they were referring to, is the death of music was, if you looked at the waveform 
right, of no. the recording, of the single. It looked like an electronic hot dog. Yeah. It just, there were no tapers of dynamics. No. Everything, it's literally what I call everything's louder than everything else. It just, yeah, but just, and, they just pushed everything up. Boom. And it became very, very fashionable around that time to start mastering. Now, the original idea was, well, we want to have the loudest thing on the radio. But the thing is, the radio compressor is going yep. to hit that after the fact. And compress so all you're yeah. asking the compressor to do is knock your record in the ass even more. So I don't know how that works out. There was no but dynamic I, range. There was no, it but, was just. Yeah, radio, radio sucks everything yeah. down. I mean, we, yeah. we, we go down to like 10 to 12 dB on every record at iHeart. And mm -hmm. yeah, and then, you know, even like, you know, a lot of the modern stateside stuff, you know, it's so based on this club sound. You know, I mean, so like, you know, all this modern pop literally sounds like I'm in a club in Ibiza in 19... 88 yeah. you know it's like all these tracks sound just like that like what, yeah. what are you doing you know well, they're because Repeating. they're all using the same they're all using the same plugins right they're all using <laughs> the same plugins. No. yeah and all the plugins are modeled on what the djs were doing at ibiza in 1980 i know right so, <laughs> so um, they had to slap that on the look, i'm not lying i'm not I lying know. So, i know so, uh uh but also because a lot of the american music is so bass heavy you know it's just like boom what i'm digging now what i'm digging now is i mean i'm just digging country yeah. i'm really digging country music yeah. a lot i mean first of all well, because i like i like real, songs. real country or pop with fiddles no 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 like some real country, oh, country. <laughs> oh don't get do not get me started naomi Won't let's not go night. there what's that what she said i missed it what was it she bro said, bro country. country. I said, oh, bro, oh, there we'll be here yeah. all night. What do you mean, like, like, no, hip hop? That's what it was, hip hop. Remember hip hop? Hip hop, yeah. Wow, yeah. but no, I mean, you know what? I I like good songs that I can understand. Mm. You know, yeah. Chris good. Stapleton. He's oh decent. man, I'm digging I like him. Chris Stapleton, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like that sound. Yeah, he's. But yeah, you know, but that's what I was saying about the. You know, like I'm. I'm very happy that people write good songs. I'm happy that I was in a band where people wrote good songs. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but you know, my, which is why I was valuable to these guys in the role that I played. I'm always listening to the track. I mean, I'm always just w wishing the singer would just shut up. I want to hear what <laughs> these guys are playing. I really want to hear what these guys are playing. And it's a musician's and, curse. <laughs> and even though K-pop, of course, is all programming. I mean, you know, that was my entry in the record business was as a synth programmer in the late seventies when I, when I moved to New York. So this K-pop stuff is such a breath of fresh air to me because it's got dynamics again. It mm. breathes, it's light. It's got that Asian, it's got that There's fun, so Asian feng shui thing about it. That's just like, well, we're going to leave space in this stuff. There's so really much. Too. I mean, on, I think Tony. a lot of the K-pop stuff is super creative. I mean, it's just, you know, as far as it being, kind of electronica but it's kind of pop yeah. and I, I don't know I, I like it too i like it a lot i gotta hear more of it but I, I that's one thing i've noticed when i was doing my own writing and production was just there's so much to be said in the spaces leave yeah. the spaces let the song God, breathe. The and and man especially now because you know it was you know, we just did. I mean, I knew how lucky I had it being as successful as I was in the New York session scene in the 80s. It was a blessing. And I got there because I knew how to operate synthesizers and get people what they wanted out of these boxes right away. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, I'm still in there with a bunch of living guys. So some of these guys were the mofos of life, you know, doing dog food commercials with Will Lee, you know, or, or Steve Gadd on the drum. You know, it's just crazy, yeah. like, who you're in the studio with. And, um, but you're, you were in a room with air. Air was in the room. And not only that, you were recording a magnetic tape and you could smack magnetic tape around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you can't do you Analog. can't do that. You cannot do that in a computer. And you hear people talking all the time about producing in the box, in the box. Like, yeah. you know, they've got all these fancy boxes where you can send the sound out just to send it back in, just so like it lived in the analog world for half a second and then like came back. So you hear about this, but man, if you just stop making more tracks and putting more crap on your damn song, maybe yeah. you might hear what it. You know why? Because back then actually, we were limited in tracks. We used to we limited, were limited in, tracks. in tracks. Now you got right. as many tracks as your computer can run. You know, and, like and and not just limited in tracks, but there were certain things that you had to put on certain tracks. Mm -hmm. especially if you were going to like sync up another tape deck to it. So then the track next to that kind of became useless. Yeah. And then you had to figure out like, especially if you're doing machine style uh, 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 programming, where you're using like 808s with those kick drums, like that kick drum had to live in a center track and nothing could live on either side of it because mm -hmm. it was bleeding out with all the, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you know, and it was just, and you know, you'd look at these track sheets you know, and some of these tracks, like the utility tracks, that thing, I have 14 things on it. I know. You know, <laughs> like know. a backing vocal and then, a, you know, a harmony, the lead, lead track, and then like, you know, the synth blast, and then like a, you know, psycho stamp, you know? And then, and then, and then you'd have to, and then the guy that had to cut all that stuff together, man, that's why there was always so much blow in the studios back then. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. he'd be like cutting, he'd cut the stuff together, you know, he'd cut, he uses razor, he's cutting this, and he'd come over and chop up some blow, <laughs> and then he'd come back over there, you know? <laughs> I'm like, dude, you know, oh boy, you know, yeah. I, I walk I, in at six I, in the morning and say, Hey, Willie, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm almost done, you know. All kinds of coke residue on those old uh, reels, man. I, 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 quote, I quote, I quote my pal, the comedian uh, Lenny Clark, when I say, I did blow for 11 years, only one time, but for 11 years. For 11 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts. That's nuts. Ah, well, I gotta ask you guys. Now we're going to talk about what's coming up. Like, obviously we're okay. talking about July 3rd. Yes. That My birthday, by the way, I'm not going to Excellent. tell you the number, but Charlie's but, the fact, birthday. The, but, but the fact that I'm standing up for it is, is worth the price of admission alone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But we'll have a walker on the side of the stage. Just That's right, man. A Johnny Walker. <laughs> just in case. A Johnny Walker. Yeah, yeah, no, a Johnny, a Johnny Walker. walker. <laughs> I, need, I need a Johnny Black on the side of the stage. Come I know, on, right? On the rocks. We'll all be standing up on one leg like Captain. You know, <laughs> <Captain> Morgan. <laughs> I go sailing with the captain often. Oh yeah, all right. <laughs> we we're doing this gig. It's going to be in Mason, Ohio, and um, you know we get to go back to Cincinnati, so it's going to be a blast. It's a free show. Big it's homecoming us. show. Yeah. yeah, homecoming thing was us and Smash Mouth. Um, oh. You know, we used to play with those cats before. They're they're great, and we just get to go home and have a good time. We're going. You know, we put together. You know, like I said, the guys still have, uh, I'm going to send them some changes still that they haven't, uh, you know, I, I sent you guys, I sent you guys, this is the best. This is how we rehearse. This is how we rehearse. Okay. Cause we're guys know, in Jeff, four different states. Yeah. We're all in different states. Jeff's in Florida. Tony's in Cincy. Charlie's in New York. I'm out here in LA. 
So what we do is, you know, we all have home studios and we record our parts. So, and then we put all the stems together, you know, and then everybody's got them. Mm-hmm. So that if we want to be able to take somebody out to practice, for example, like last night, I think, or night before I sent everybody, you know, like all the songs kind of in a show. So what I'll do is, you know, I'll also make one without my vocal. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll play drums and I'll sing, you know, for the biggest, the, the biggest problem for me is remembering lyrics. Uh-huh. I might write a new song right on the spot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> You know, I believe, you know, I'm going down in the willies and I'm going to get me, you know, who knows? You know, I might make something up. But uh, <laughs> Listen, uh, I, as long Elliot, as it's grooving, it doesn't matter. As long as it grooves, you know. <laughs> Elliot did that a lot. And I got to tell you, I saw Peter Gabriel era Genesis a lot. I was really into that band when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, In yeah. high school. And Peter Gabriel would like just start doing double talk in some of these things. So that was, they were a wordy band, especially oh, when he man. was in it. Dude, and he, he just, you know, that was before the days of the teleprompters down in the wedges. Oh, you know, yeah, you yeah, could just yeah, look yeah. down, oh yeah, the cat chased the dog. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, um, we used to watch, we used to watch James Brown rehearse, right? And uh, it was when I was with Bell Bib the Bow. So what we would do, <laughs> we would take our break and we'd be a third encore. So. We'd be waiting. That's a and, rehearsal studio in LA. It's a, it's a rehearsal studio in LA. So we'd be out here and they would say, hey, you know, James is coming. James is going to be here at noon. So we'd finish up our rehearsal because we usually have to start around 10 and we take a lunch. And we'd hide behind the curtain and wait for James to show up because our rooms were connected and we had a doorway. We could go in and wait. So we go in and they would say, James is, he's, he's like five minutes away, five minutes away. So we wait, we wait. So they would say, James is coming, James is coming. So I'd run outside, I'd look through, and I'd see him come out. There's This big stretch would pull up, right? And keep in mind, the band had been there since 10, his band. Two drummers, full-blown horn section, four singer, female singer, dancers, you know, rhythm section, the whole night. They're all there hitting hard, man. They were tight, you know? As we used to say, tight as Dick's hat band, you know, tight. So we would get in there, and so James is coming in, the whole band's on point. They're standing there waiting, you know, because now he's coming. I'm looking out, and you see the limo door opens. This woman gets out, redhead, beautiful. Then this blonde gets out, you know, brunette gets out. He's got the whole plethora, you know, these women. Get, and they stand, and they wait by the door for him. And then you see this cane, brown cowboy boot, light blue track suit with a stripe, and a black leather coat, brown cowboy hat with a big thing on the front. This cat, I don't know who dressed him, but it was James Brown, you don't say nothing. So he comes in and he's sitting there, the band's on point. He walks up to the mic. <laughs> you gotta love that. He walks up to the mic and he goes, I don't know how they understood it. We're sitting there, he goes, somebody get him, get him. Pop on the band goes, pop, 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 and get on up. And I'm like, Golly, you know, and then he goes, he goes, time, pam, and they hit the one, and the band is just funky, man. They're he's grooving and he's saying stuff and he's calling these cues. I don't know what he's saying, but the band obviously does, you know, and you know, and he's like, he spins around, he throws the mic out, comes back, you know, the you know, the guy took his jacket off for him, and he's doing all this business. And he comes mm-hmm. back and he goes, <laughs> I heard hit it and quit it. 
That's all I heard. But he goes, somebody didn't want to hit it with it. Bop, 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 bop. He was done. Band's back at point. He stands there. The guy puts his jacket on his shoulders. He left. Now, the band had been there for like two and a half, three hours. James came in for 10 minutes. Oh, Gone. that's awesome. I was like, man, but never understood a word he said the whole time. He <laughs> you know, he never, he's like, never, he never turns it off. He never just, he, he was, was like, no, 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 no. You know, and that was for, we were rehearsing for, he was rehearsing for the, uh, the James Brown Living in America special that mm. we did. So we're backstage and I thought, oh, I'll get to meet James again. You know, I get to talk to him. So it's, it's James, Quincy, Quincy's daughter and myself were standing there and one of James's wives, I don't know which one, but she was, she was a piece of work. God bless her. So number 14, <laughs> it was, it, she's big, I, you know, right. So I'm watching them talk. I'm trying to listen to James. Still can't understand what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Apparently and Quincy's just going, mm-hmm. he's just going, yeah. Uh-huh. He's just looking at him nodding. I'm like, this cat, man, he had a, a whole different language. Kind of yeah. sound like my uncle, you know, but <laughs> he was a bad boy. He was a bad, a bad boy. boy. I mean, you know, people understood him. You know, they it was that international yeah. funk language, I guess, that Bootsy's got yeah. too. So, you know. So it's it's funny that would be the special too, because uh, I, you know, I'm I have a reputation in here in New York as a teller of stories. Yes. And uh, and I have a I I'm not going to tell it here because it takes way too long to tell. But I had worked uh, with the late, great Dan Hartman. Uh, uh, I was in a band that he produced and uh, really got along with him. Uh, He's one of the most talented people I've ever met in this business. And this was uh, in the late 80s. Um, And uh, Dan was the bass player in the Edgar Winter group, but uh, and was the guy that wrote and sang Free Ride. But then he uh, had a bunch of disco hits in the uh, 70s and 80s had a, a, a big, a huge gay anthem called Relight My Fire. It's just a gigantic, gigantic disco hit. And then everybody in the 80s knew him. He played and sang every last note on I Can Dream About You from Streets of Fire. Even though it was a little black kid in the video, it was all Dan Hartman doing all of the voices. Mm-hmm. So he's a very, very, but Dan, wrote and produced Living in America. And Dan told me the story <laughs> of, how, of how that almost didn't happen. And I won't bore you with the whole story. Also because I would have to do a pretty awful imitation of James Brown, which would then get me canceled all over America. But, uh, uh. but I, will just, I will just give you the punchline, which is James saying, Dan, well, well, you can't blame me for trying. I'll see you tomorrow, Dan. Click. Anyway, that's the punchline. <laughs> so, so I'll just let you, whatever story you could come up with, believe me, it's not as bizarre as the one. Hey man, here's one. Here's one. Here's one. James. So he's in. The, he's doing the last record, Living America. Like my buddy Rodney, Rodney Shelton, keyboard player down North Carolina. He's in the studio with him, <clears throat> and he says he's all nervous. Rodney goes in. He's got his hat on backwards, right? James says. Uh, what's your name, sir? He goes, uh, Rodney. What's your last name? He says, uh, Sheldon. He goes, okay, you, you're, you're Mr. Sheldon. I'm Mr. Brown. He goes, uh, Mr. Sheldon. He goes, yes, sir, Mr. Brown. He said, um, 
don't you turn your hat around the way it's supposed to be wore? (laughs) He goes, he goes, okay. So he spun his hat around. And then he goes, he runs through the track. He goes, turn it on that track. So Rodney plays his part. He goes through the song once. And he goes, James goes, good. That's it. That's it. And and Rodney says, he says, "Uh, Mr. Brown, uh, was that good enough? You want me to do it again? He looked at him. He goes, son, the first time was God. The second time was you effing it up. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Rodney said, okay, I guess we'll leave it alone. (laughs) I was like, man, it's a James Bond. Like first time's God, second time's you, you know, effing it up. That's it. <laughs> which, uh, which, which of which of course is the polar opposite of how Mutt Lang produces. Oh yeah. Everybody I've everybody I've known who's ever been in a studio with Mutt Lang says he's the nicest guy in the world. But when you're standing next to him playing that part and you play it and you played it perfectly, and he goes, That's great, do it again. Yeah. And you play it and you play it again perfectly. That's great, do it again. And play yeah. it, play it. That's great. So many, that's why so those many takes. that's why. That's why those Def Leppard and Shania Twain records sound like that. Oh yeah, oh, everybody had to play it again. Yeah. How yeah. many tracks would he put on a like a song like uh, Armageddon it or God's of War? When How many, many tracks do you think are on that? I mean, there's a million. Yeah, you're doing you're doing submixes of submixes, boiling down vocals. So yeah. I don't know. I don't. I would have heard if he was like strapping up three machines together, usually two is the max. And if you tried to sync anything else to that, you were just asking for trouble. I mean, the fact that you could get two 24 track tape machines to talk to each other, to me was like landing on the moon was like getting a, you know, going down the store to get some eggs, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I connect the space station to the- Well, you know, I understood, I understood the coding involved, you know, which this is before digital anything. I understood, that it was the marvel of having the motors calibrated so that things were just always going to run like that, you know? Um, And occasionally they didn't, and you found out after the fact. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Where where you'd be on some multi-tracks, and then, like, you come in the next day, and all of a sudden, all of the tracks on on the slave multi-track start to get a little out of tune. Mm -hmm. Just, it's not like... Not like circus, but just ah, yeah. And then it's like, do we recut it? Do we recut? You know, it's there. There was, you know, there used to be a recording industry in this country. You should have seen well, you it. Know it what? Was great. I'll tell you about <laughs> used, it someday. I used to record with Kenny, uh, Babyface. Kenny, we mm. used to work in, in his closet, and he had two porta studios. You know, and what we do? He would fill up the, you know, the one he we would track on three tracks. You know, we bounce down. The drum machine on and then we bounce all that over to the other track on the other machine that's how you start, learn that's how you learn and we just start bouncing did rock steady that way for the whispers you know mm-hmm. i mean and a lot of those tracks man and he kept that same thing so we were in the studio with what was her name uh sheena easton mm-hmm. and um she, they were all doing it just bouncing stuff all over the place doing the same thing because there was a certain thickness that they had to get you know mm-hmm. and, yeah. but what he used to do was after the lead vocal was done he would have the singer come back in. He would do this with, with you know, uh, Sheena, Brandon, all of them. He'd have them do the whisper track. And so perfect example, uh, Tony Braxton. That's why all her records sound so airy and so beautiful is because after she'd sing the thing, he'd say, okay, now whisper the whole song, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Just um, to fill it out. Yeah, and they would bring up that whisper, the air, you know? And just a slight, like a light 
slight plate verb or a slight, you know, not too much on there, but mm. it just added. So, and there's so many tips and tricks, but it all started with those portal studios trying to figure out how to make the best of what you had. Yeah. You know, you know oh, man, I'm learning so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. And, and I you just, know, the, the other thing that you find out when you're actually, you get put in the position of having to make your own albums yeah. and you start like, sort of reading about or seeing documentaries about some of these other classic albums that were made. And you realize real fast that a lot of your favorite moments from any record that you're calling your favorite record are actually mistakes. Yeah. Mm. And that's, you know, in the nineties, you know, it seems like it's a trillion years ago, but you know, in the eighties was oh, yeah. really the first time that all of us studio rats got the idea that everything could be fixed. Everything yeah. could be fixed. We didn't have auto-tune back then, mm -hmm. no. but everything could be fixed. There was a way to fix everything and make it perfect. Mm -hmm. And the 90s, in a lot of ways, the more rockier stuff was a little bit of a blowback against that. I mean, if you look at the grunge guys, but even look at a band like Collective Soul, like that sort of like, free and easy kind of hippie vibe that they were about. Things were a little bit looser. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there was a little bit of a, uh, but then emo came in and it was just like, you know, as much as they all thought they sounded like the Sex Pistols, everything got fixed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dude, I produced a couple of rock bands and you say auto-tune, they would lose their mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not auto-tuning me. I'm like, well, you, hey, we can send it out this way. You're not in tune. <laughs> you yeah. know, but go right ahead, you know. No, that's my sound. Okay, that go right ahead. Yeah. Don't blame yeah. it on me. Take yeah. my name yeah. off of yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. you're, a, you're, a, you're a regular Johnny Thunders over there. I know. I know. It's like, good Lord, man. Anyway, so well, listen, we probably kept you long enough. Hey, so I've, I've, had, I've enjoyed I'm I've enjoyed every minute of this. This has been one of oh. the most fun chats because like Naomi, and where it's are nice you? to see you guys oh, interact. Yeah, that's good. I we gotta get in, up there. I'm in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 Hey, you know what happened to me in Edmonton? What? I got laid. Yes. <laughs> Sex happens in Edmonton. Time. It, it was, was a long, long time, time ago though. It's a long time. I was a little slip of a girl back then. Don't do that. Yeah, it was like a trip up to Edmonton. Uh, it, was with, uh, it was with Rick Derringer and Edgar Winter. And, no uh, way. Wow, uh, you know. What, what can I say? You know, I, I I'd collect it and put it in a bottle and sell it to y'all, but I'm keeping it all for myself. <laughs> uh, hey, we kept running into Radiohead in Canada. Remember, I was like, you yeah, know, yeah, we kept running yeah. into them. Drunker <laughs> and skunks. Yeah, they were so drunk they were literally like statues of Radiohead. It's like yeah, Radiohead in the Wax Museum. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, wish us luck. We're known for for our hockey team, basically for the Oilers because yes, of Gretzky, are. right? So yes, we're actually are. in the Hold playoffs on. right now, and we're doing well. So do you notice that my Rangers do not suck for once this year? I can't believe we beat the Penguins. I can't believe we beat the Penguins. That's a big that's thing. Like, that's like a science fiction to me. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe we're not. You know, I can't believe that we would beat like a girls' field hockey team from like a junior high school. You know, although. Uh. You know, the, the Rangers have one big thing going for them, and that, that of course, is the New York Knicks. Oh, yeah. what? So, <laughs> what? 
You know, I you, you know I hear you know I, I hear one day we're actually going to yeah. get a professional basketball team back in this town, but apparently it takes a lot of money to do that. That's yeah, well, funny. you know, got to get Jay Z to buy it. <laughs> At least the Mets don't suck this year, so. Yeah. Well, that's really that's really my team. That's really that's really the only local I sports keep, I, I, I keep, follow. Even I though I'm in Mets. LA, I still keep trying to hang on to the Reds. I tell you what, man, when the Bengals were in and we were out here, I was the only guy at the parties with the Bengals hat. I got so snubbed, <laughs> you know, and, and I was mad at the end of the game. I'm like, why would you change your whole strategy at the end of the game? You know, you guys are killing me, man. Oh, that was horrible. Oh. That was horrible. Was like, Golly, you know, eh, what do you do? What do you do? I was the only one in the party with the Cincinnati. Hey, the, ba- the Bengals were such a great organization. They turned our mic on halfway through the national anthem when we sang I know, it right? for them. <laughs> well, listen, we, wow. we, we were... We lost our seat at the, at the new stadium because they saw us on TV singing the national anthem wearing Cleveland Brown jerseys. <gasps> so remember we was, and Jeff wouldn't wear one and we all wore one. And next thing you know, we didn't have our seat anymore down at the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys can sit in the snow now. I'm like, hey. I gotta say, I gotta say the Browns treated us like we were rock stars, many levels above our humble tier. Yeah, yeah, we really were on. I mean, really the cool. day that we sang for them, we had to race in early in the morning from another gig. We got a police escort to the stadium. We got a super ass box to like hang out in. I mean, and you know, those fans out there, I mean, I don't know. And they're also the best music fans in the United States for my money. We would get yeah. asked all the time if you could only play one place for the rest of your life. Not even something I can think about. Being from New York, Cleveland, Ohio, the Peabody. best crowds, the best yeah. spirit in that town, and the the loyalty those fans show to those teams it's 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 a thing of beauty. A cry, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And they, yeah. we, I mean, I literally thought like we were Elton John, like the way the way they <laughs> rolled it out for us, you know. And the Bengals managed to turn on the mic halfway through our nation's <laughs> anthem. I'm just saying. What are you doing? What do you do? Anyway, Naomi, we got to go, baby. (laughs) I know, but I mean, I can't wait to share this episode. I just want to make sure that, um, you know what? Hopefully we can do this again in the future. That'd be really cool. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about. And uh, it's been a pleasure. I love you guys. And uh, there'll be uh, be plenty of video from this gig. So you'll see how we made out. But I'm telling you, look, again, we just show up and do what we do. But the, you know, the, the times that we've already rolled the show out and sometimes under really, really impossible technical yeah. hardships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've killed. I mean, I'm just, we just kill. Well, first of all, so we go happy. in with the right attitude. You know, we go yeah. in with like, okay, we're just going to have fun. That's it. We're going to yeah. go in, we're going to have fun and, and do what we do. And like I said, we don't get to practice with yeah. each other. We don't even see each other until we show up. You know, Please. okay, did you practice your part? Okay. We're like, like Sam and Dave. Like Sam and Dave in the later years. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, wait a minute. You don't even know the song. Ah, it's okay. Let's go. <laughs> you know, we'll make That's it up. That's not the doctor so sketch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Jeff's, I hope Jeff's all good, but, uh, you know, send he's my thanks. Good. Don't worry about it. Send my thanks to he, Jeff as well. He, he's, in, he's in Florida. They shut the power down there at nine o'clock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
That's it's that daggone DeSantos or whatever his name is, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. And, and then I'll tag you guys and everything when it's all edited and ready to go. And it's Naomi, awesome. thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. This is an awesome time. My, my right, best to the good people of Edmonton. Uh, as you can tell, I had me some good times in it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But thank Glad you so much, here. Naomi. Thank you. Thanks for remembering who we are. And, and of course. Yeah, I'm so everyone. glad Hopefully to be able to share it, this it really does mean It really does mean a lot to us, for real. It does. It does. Especially because we want to do, you know, we're, we're just doing this again. And we're just having fun. We never really quit. You know, we're just, mm -hmm. uh, we keep moving. And yeah. like, I, like Charlie was Gotta saying, yeah, you know, like Charlie was saying, we'll have some footage for you. You know, we'll okay. do this show. we're going we're gonna to video some stuff and give you something Perfect. to play with. So, you know. That's Great. awesome. All right, girl. Love you. Take care. Love Thank you. you so Take much. care. Thank you. Take care. See you. Bye-bye. Instagram at dope underscore nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.